Hello, and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond. I've read every book in the main series. However, my co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hi. Uh, and our producer, AJ Faleri. How are the levels? They're better than they were about a minute ago. <laughs> and the nine-foot-tall, face-tattooed, wood-sword-wheeling, mass-murdering madman of our podcast, Joshua Dean Baker. What's up? <laughs> I don't have anything funny to say about that. That's just who I am. That's <laughs> just a fact. Thank you, Bashar, for that name. Now, I gotta say, you know, we finished Memories of Ice, and I would say, although I really had no idea how that conversation was gonna go, I think I had a good impression of the gist of it, just because, like, like I, the Memories of Ice finale is so strong, and it's such a certain type of traditional finale in a way. And that brings us to this episode, which I, you know, we all finished reading the book this last week, and I have absolutely no idea how the three of you are going to feel about this book and it's particularly weird ending so I'm very much looking forward to discussing it you know I have no idea where this conversation is going to take us yeah so (laughs) I guess with that said (laughs) let's start chapter 23 Mogoro cooks for both Absalar and Cutter. Together, the pair speak about Kalam and Cotillion. Absalar thinks Cotillion wants to use all three of them, but is hesitant about Absalar since she has many of his memories and knows the mortal man, Dancer. Cutter asks where they will go, and he has a feeling Absalar knows. Troll and Onrak will travel with the other Talani mass through the Talan Warren. Through tundra and jungle, they will journey all the way to the first throne to defend it from Tist Eater and renegade Talani mass. They journey into the Warren together and speak about their mission. And Troll struggles to make the same journey the Imas do. Troll also alludes to his past and the story of his shorning. He doubts if there's anything to be learned from it, and says he will tell them when they are waiting at the first throne. Pearl and Lestara are within Raraku. The whirlwind goddess has withdrawn her power, and they can see the toll she has taken on the land. They speak more then about the Talon, the rebellion, and their attraction to one another. Lestara then knocks Pearl out with a distraction. She briefly spots the Ashok Regiment, and then speaks with Cotillion. They speak more about other tasks, and Cotillion lets her keep an object. Absalar faces the desert, and meets with Cotillion. Together they speak of Cutter and his love for Absalar. Cotillion wants to use the boy in a way. They speak about Absalar's power and her restraint. Cotillion speaks to her of an all-encompassing love, a love of multitudes. Absalar decides to help Cotillion in Cutter's place. Cotillion leaves and soon after Absalar. Kalam is hidden amongst petrified trees. He reflects on his otatral knife and senses some foreign power in the forest. 
clam has an acorn. Troll and Onrak travel together into a warm jungle. They speak about the Imas's past and where they lived. The Imas's people's ancestors were the Eris. The Eris were a more primitive people, but amongst the first to be aware. They had holy sites that burned through the Warren of Talon. They used this gate and in it, an Eris woman takes Troll's seed, leaving him with cuts on his stomach and blood on his lap. Through the gateway though, they are greeted by Apt and the boy Panic. Panic is defending the first throne and says he will lead them to the others. Okay, Josh, this chapter starts and Apsilar and Cutter are catching up with Mogoro. I don't know how to say her name, Mogoro. And um, they're just. She's having fun spider times and they talk about their imminent journey and then they talk a little bit more about Cutter being used as opposed to Apsilar. So talk about the ending too if you would like, but how did you ultimately feel about where Cutter and Apsilar have been brought to at this point and this type of conversation about Cotillion and then later they speak more directly to Cotillion. I, I think I've not loved their journey so far this series. You know, it's not been like my, it's not really stood out to me in a lot of ways. However, I think this book, um, I really enjoy, uh, I enjoy that they are more equal partners in this book than they have been in previous ones. You know what I mean? Like in mm-hmm. their, in their traveling time, like Cutter is able to take care of himself so much better than he was in the previous books. So I appreciated that going towards the end. As you said, I could talk about that a little bit. I really love, love the, that our, their paths are divergent. I think that's exactly what their characters need. Uh, and by that, I mean, that's what Cutter needs. Cause he needs to just stop like following Absalar around like a little lost dog. Interesting. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I, I always enjoy the Cotillion scenes. I think he's a very fun character and is much more lighthearted than the other gods that we get to talk to or Ascendants. Well, I don't know if I'd call him lighthearted, but let's leave that ending there for now because I think we have a lot mm-hmm. of opportunities to talk about these two characters. And yeah. this and I think the next chapter are still kind of building in a way. They're kind of linking mm-hmm. us towards the finale. And that brings us to uh, Troll and Onrak. Who, in this chapter, let's talk about both parts of their journey together. They decide to travel to the First Throne through the Talon Warren. They speak about their pasts a little bit. And we also learn about the heiress. And they go through an heiress holy site. And then kind of one of them uh, assaults and like cuts open. There's There's a thing with Troll. So, AJ, where did you come at? with this journey and was this something you were really expecting in the book i'm not sure what you mean was i expecting it because no i was not expecting a new type of uh <laughs> elf adjacent person and another talani mass to have an adventure together when i started reading this book if that's what you're asking sure um <laughs> i guess i guess here let me speak about my feeling i feel like even though um i i read this book before this is just still it feels like it really comes out of left field in a way you know just all mm. of a sudden we're in the talan warren and then there's this heiress and you know you know 
it really it really snuck up on me and i wonder if you feel that way as well yeah i mean i think a lot of the stuff that happens in the troll on rack sections is kind of unpredictable because it is so isolated from the rest of the events of the book mm. so like no matter what they did you know it's not really related to anything else that anybody else is doing mm. uh, until really the end of this chapter when when they when they get to the first uh, the first throne and meet panic and apt outside and then we have some connection to you know calam and stuff but like outside of that it was just kind of they were doing their own thing they were chilling they were being bros i was really loving it um so like i think for their own story i don't know i think this kind of tracks of them you know this seems like a logical conclusion but in the terms of the rest of the book there was no way this you know there was no way when i first met troll and Unrack that i was going to predict this is where they would end up and, and this is really i mean we're going to touch on them at the very end of this book of course but i believe this is our last time really seeing them until the yeah. epilogue Mm-hmm. Because yeah. really, they kind of get to the first throne, and then we spend most of our time in Raraku. Um, right. So that brings me. Um, oh, I want to. I just want to hop in here real quick. Get in there. Uh, can I just say? Uh, I want to say when it comes to reading these books, uh, you were talking about how to how to how do you feel about things coming out of left field? I have a shoe to baseball diamond when it comes to this book and all these books, and I live in a sphere of left fields, and it really. <laughs> Just when I read these books, I assume at any point that he could be like, and then yes, Josh, this happened. Like anything he could say. Yeah, he could start speaking to me and he could be like, now your cat's going to get on your lap. And it did. And and I'd be like, yep, that's how this book do. You're no longer playing baseball. You're playing baseball. Oh, yeah. Blog. (laughs) She's really fucking in on this baseball thing. Okay. Okay. So wait really quick. Sorry. 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 Because I I wanted to talk about my feelings about that section, if that's okay. Oh, please. Because, you know, you know, I have feelings about trolling on rack. I love them so much. They're my favorite two sons. Um, (laughs) And uh, I just thought it was really neat to hear more about trolls uh, shorning. Hmm. You know, and how basically he was forced to like stop existing. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even in his head to be like, yeah, no, I was never, you know, I was never uh, eater. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of a dude. Uh, and the, the the juxtaposition of that compared to the Talane mass like breaking of the vow. Yeah. How it's like they are forced to remember this person or or this you know being that is that is broken their vow or whatever. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting when Charles said, "Much of my knowledge did not come to me until much later." Uh, and on rack response, following your shortening, uh, and yeah. then he thinks to himself like yeah i also didn't learn a lot until i was free from the vow uh of of my people um which i just thought was really interesting uh and because then it goes on and monarch uh, has like no feelings about it and he's like well yeah you know it just kind of happens and onrak's like well i mean <laughs> i think it have to happen i think you're touching on an interesting parallel between them where they're both characters who have a relationship to their race that mm-hmm. is important to their interpersonal life and that they're mm-hmm. like kind of being defined against their race in some sort of way or in the absence of it away. So, Inge, how do you feel about Troll and Onrak now that their journey to the First Throne, they come and finally they meet Panic and Apt, we get to see them again, 
But really, um, this is kind of the end of their journey of this book. So where did you end up about the two of them throughout the entirety of House of Chains? I was really happy for it to end. They are the most boring characters I've ever read. They speak in a way you that I can't understand. <laughs> Literally, when, they, when I'm reading their parts, I'm just like, I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea what they're talking about. They're always talking about something that happened like 10,000 years ago. And I'm just trying to find the relevance. Yeah. I hate them. I mean... I mean, they're good characters. Don't get me wrong. They're like great and sensitive and emotional. And it's like, yeah, but also you are so boring. And I was so happy. The only good thing that came out of that part was that I got to see or read Apton Panic. (laughs) They're back. They're back. I mean, I do know what you mean, Inge. Pretty much at every moment, Troll turns to Onrak and is like, (laughs) I don't think you can learn anything. And then Onrak's like, no, you can learn from experience. And this continues for like a page and a half. And then they move on to... <laughs> and then like, we're introduced to a new, a new race. Yeah. I don't get it. He's like, I have no soul, but I have all of these feelings. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> um, and that's where I stand with them. I, I truly, it was so boring. And I say it all the time when I'm reading their parts. It is the reason that I procrastinate reading so much. It is so freaking boring. That's um, all I got to say. Well, let's leave them until the epilogue and tune back into the main show of the end of House of Change, which is what everything's going to happen in Raruku. So, Inge, you may not be tuned into Troll and Onrak, but how did you feel about Pearl and Lestara as they sneak closer? Lestara knocks out Pearl and then he, she kind of comes up with the whole game plan with Cotillion and then Cotillion kind of gives her this thing and Cotillion goes off to do his, all of his other stuff. So, um, ha- Cotillion has like so many moving pieces. I feel, and I'm so intrigued to figure out what is going on because I obviously still haven't. I don't know if you guys have, but in the last, like, I guess, I don't know, chapters, whatever, when we were reading it last time, I was like, I really hope that Pearl doesn't like double cross Lestara Mm. in some way. And then Lestara (laughs) did it to Pearl. So... I don't understand why she knocked him out. I don't know what he was going to do to the plan. I really, that was way over my head. All he wanted to do was see what was in her little pouch. I don't really know what was in her pouch. Do you guys know what was in her pouch? I I just got to say, Pearl wears the pants in a relationship, you know? Not to reduce everything down to that, but... You know, Pearl wears the pants. Sorry, I'm. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was like. Really? I said it all wrong. Let me, let me. I just gotta say, Lestara wears the pants in this relationship. Not to reduce sure. it down to that simple thing, but you know, it's correct though. Yeah, I love that she not only knocked him out, but then threw him over her shoulder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's just kind of a delicate boy, you know. Um, yeah, I think I really like. I don't. I have no idea, though, even still reading that, like, I, I like them, so that's great. But I still don't even know what they're doing or, or what their plan is or what she's doing, so. Well, I don't, I don't think any of us did at that point. It's it's that I classic. I still don't. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's, it's all this. I feel like this is one of those run-up chapters Steve writes that's just, like, the beat's about yeah. to drop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. So, uh, Josh, then uh, we, we talked about, me and you talked about a bit of this beginning, but then Absalar has her conversation with Cotillion, and it's, like, a much more uh, heavy one, and then she decides to kind of leave. So how did you feel about her decision and why she chose it? I was very... Very confused, if I'm being honest, because I like whenever I read Absalar and Cutter chapters, I'm always like, 
Maybe they just like decide they like each other and go not murder people for a living. That'd be cool. They're both kids. They, sure. they need this. But I never expect that to happen because Absalar, like everything she does is basically do is basically saying, hey, Cutter, I don't love you. Go away. And then and to Cotillion, she's like, but my biggest secret is I love him. And I'm, I was I, I I didn't know how to feel about it because I felt it was very abrupt. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like even in the last couple chapters together, she's so distant from him that I was like, I, I, I didn't expect the, I almost, I almost want to say the cliche, I only act like I hate him because it's too hard to love him. Like, I did not expect that from Absalar. AJ looks like he's going to respond. AJ? Uh, I, I don't know. I take issue with that because there are, in the very beginning of this book, when Crocus first makes the deal with Cotillion, is like, all right. I'm going to be Cutter mm-hmm. now. We get Absalar's inner thought that's like, or not actual inner thought, but we get that she's like, oh, I hate that. Like, that yeah. sucks. You um, see, I always I, I always feel like it's her trying to protect him. Yeah, from I, because she life. cares about him. No, dude, I fully disagree. I think that's more about her reflecting, taking on the burdens of violence and, and the life of an assassin onto yourself. And that she is projecting onto him that he's like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm a violence man now. And she's like, you shouldn't do this. I am like, yeah. it is this burden on my life. And you are yeah, you I, are yeah. er- making an error by doing this. Yeah, I did not because see Because she cares about him. Why, she I did not see it as a compassion thing. Yeah, India, what do you think? How do you feel about Absalar's love or something of Crocus? Listen, at the end of the day, they're still kids, man. They can't express their feelings in a very productive way. Also, she didn't even get to like fully live her life. She then got turned into like another person, then got her life back. And then, but it was not her life anymore. She's this complete new person. Also now trying to navigate a relationship with a boy. And he, all he wants to do is make her happy. He doesn't even like, he's not even like looking into the deeper story. I feel like he's just like, oh, she likes to kill me too now. And she's like, what the hell? Like, that was never what I wanted. That's not who I am. That's what I am as a result of my freaking past. Yeah. And I, I think, India, I fully agree with you. And I think their Cutter and Absalar's naivete with love uh, is established through this conversation that Absalar has with Cotillion because he's because Absalar's like, oh, he only loves the, the murderer part of me. That's why he tries to emulate that so much. And Cotillion's like, no, you idiot. Yes. OK, that's not Here, what I'm love hopping, is. I'm hopping in. I'm hopping in. I got to defend my boy Cutter. He is not. He does not believe that Absalar likes killing. And I will say, yeah. however, that maybe that is what Absalar thinks because she's bad at feeling sometimes. He is like, okay, well, she's going to keep killing. So I guess the best way to stay by her side is to get good at it, too. Like, I don't want to kill people, but like, I got to be with her. You are. You know, it just feels like this all could have been solved with a very, very open and honest conversation between them. Well, that's yeah. what the, yeah, well. people in this series do not have open and honest conversations <laughs> do they (laughs) they're like my feelings are a smoke and then (laughs) then there's a sentence that's like and then a man handed a woman an object (laughs) and then we move on now i I really don't yeah i must we must return i um, we we gotta keep doing the show but you are so wrong about both of you are sorely misreading 
I'm with you, Pete and Josh. You can go eat a eat a pee. Agreed. Can't I wait to talk to Steve about it. Can't I don't know how you could it. possibly read Crocus's interest in Absolar as like healthy or an actual I never said loving healthy. interest. We never said it was healthy. We never said healthy, and we actually we did say that healthy. it wasn't actual love because they're children. I'm just saying. I feel like he. Facts. Oh my gosh, okay. you are insane, and I. Ugh. It's uh, listen. We all understand. Pizza chalice head. He still his head cannon is that crocus gets a chalice in the, at the fit. Um, I do love Cutter, and I I I shan't. Oh my gosh. And but I gotta say, I really did not think this is what we were gonna blow up about. First, so. I do love the the. the part where Absalar says there are two women in, within me and Catillion says two there are multitudes and Cutter loves them all she's like yeah you're 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 a deep person you're multifaceted <laughs> oh my god insane insane <laughs> all right all right let's go to the next chapter okay yeah, yeah. And also, cheers. also Kalam's in the forest so that's something <laughs> yeah. but literally <laughs> yeah, who cares get, let's get going let's keep moving Okay, it is now time for the part of the show where we like to thank our new patrons on our Patreon page. If you want to donate, you can go to patreon.com slash 10 very big books. Uh, we appreciate any and all donations that you give. There are some great rewards in there, uh, but I'm just going to get into it and read through our new patrons. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much to Gerald, Sean, Matt, Thomas, Zach, Lady Spanalot, Tharod, Jesper, Matt, Sean, Russell, Corporal Knobs, Dr. Kirill, and RM. Thank you all so much for donating to the show. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, we are hoping that you are enjoying the bonus episodes. If you want to join our Patreon, like I said, you can go to patreon.com slash 10 very big books. Uh, you can read about all the rewards there. And that's it. Thank you all so much for donating. And let's keep on moving. Chapter 24 Gamet looks over the camp, thinking on strategy for the impending battle. He meets with Tavor and discusses this, the Malazan army now in sight of Corblo Doms. Nil and Nether speak to them about the earth and spirits. They start to hear distant music and a song of voices. Gamet returns to his legion and tells them that unidentifiable soldiers may join them. The song is hurting Gamut, and he wants to be left alone. Fiddler struggles to hear over the song. Bottle helps him, and the two speak of the song, the bridge burners, and of the heiress all. Bottle says his grandmother would speak to him of the heiress all. Fiddler thinks more on returning to Raraku and wonders if this will be his last battle. In Leoman's camp, they can spot the Wiccans approaching. Korab rides to alert Mathok and the rebel army, and sees that other messengers had been slain. He luckily makes it through. Shaikh looks out on Tavor's and Korblodam's army. She thinks on the futility of this conflict. She thinks more on the desert and the Empress. She speaks to Camus Relo about the opposing mages, the Wiccans, and the chains that bind them. Hiborg speaks to Scalara about Bidithal, 
that the High Mage may be dabbling with powers out of his control. They both hear the growing song in the air. The two of them set out in the city, but are attacked by two of Korblodom's assassins. Haboric defends them, but is wounded after some others attack. Scalara briefly flees. More assassins defend, but Ghost of Raraku save the pair. Scalara returns and goes to drag Haboric back to his temple to heal. Shaikh faces her armor and her battle ahead. As she begins to don the armor, Loric enters and speaks to her of the dangers of the impending battle. Shaikh, though, says the goddess will protect her, that there will be a great convergence. Korab arrives then to tell Shaikh of the Wiccan. Loric is dispatched to tell Korblodom of this, and that the Dog Slayer's command will be given to Leoman. Loric sets out to deliver this message to Korblodom. He speaks to Dom about the impending battle and the whirlwind goddess's destruction. However, Dom's command is not to be usurped, and a knife strikes Loric's back. He defends himself with magic, but he is sorely wounded. Bellison Younger speaks to Greyfrog about the knight and a potential ally. Then, Scalara finds her and tells her what happened to Hoboric. Nearby, the Tisleosian watch as Karsa Orlong rides to the oasis, and they are grateful the warrior did not spot them. So the armies are preparing. Nil and Nether hear the sound of music, and they speak more about the spirits, and it's kind of uh, building more into what will become more pertinent at the end uh, in chapters 25 and 26. And they hear more that kind of some more unidentifiable soldiers might join them. And this is where Gamut is really hearing all this, and he and he's really in a lot of pain, and he goes and kind of lays down, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is really preparing him for chapter 25, when, when the ghost of Ryroku will so. rise. So, AJ, at this time, you know, I know we've talked, me and you have talked about Gamut before, what did you think about where the army stood and how much at this point were the ghosts something really on your radar? Because they're up up in book four and three, we've talked about them a lot, but they really emerge sure. into a new fold in this last ending. Yeah, I mean, the, the ghosts were, I don't know, they I, to say they were on my radar would be very generous to me. Um, but but <laughs> to be honest, I should have known. Because we've talked to Steve several times, and every time we bring up his short story point of like, oh, well, don't bring something up if it's not important. Yeah. So, like, obviously it was going to be important, um, but my dumb ass was just like, nah. So, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even think about how it had been addressed throughout the entire book until right this second. I, sh- I should have seen it coming, I think, is what I'm saying. Um, but in terms of Gamut... I'm just sad for my sad boy. <laughs> I feel bad. Uh, AJ was very um, upset. He he texted me last night about that. Oh uh, well, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's 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 later that I'll that I'm very upset. But so, c- quick question for you, Pete. Mm. Why why do they use Gamut's blood to do this ritual with Nether and Nil? That's a Ooh. good question. Can I can I can I try and posit an answer uh, or a guess? I have none. None. So why don't you okay. posit away, buddy? Okay. Well, my answer is it ain't gonna be Nil and Nether because. 
they're frail children, even regardless of what age they are. Sure. Uh, and Tavor has an Ototero sword, which we learned from Lorne that the longer you have that shit, the more your body just like yeah. don't do magic. So they yeah. just kind of probably just wanted like a normal human. And Gamut was there. It didn't need to be his. It could be any human. Yeah, yeah right. It didn't like even seem like he was called to like, hey, go do this. It was just kind of like he was like, hey, what's up? And they were like, hey, can we use your hand for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I think it's very, it's very within Tavor's everything to just be like, we need blood. Well, Gamut will do. Yeah, and I think because I was, I was also just thinking like before you said the attachment thing, I was like, well, why didn't they just use Tavor's blood? Because you know you want to make sure that they're loyal to you and blah blah blah. But mm-hmm. like Gamut is the most loyal person to Tavor, so. He yeah. is the next best thing to just straight up using Tavor's blood, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I think we just needed the POV character and we're not allowed to see in Tavor and Elder Nether's head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is also a fact. India, going into this finale, Fiddler talks a bit to Bottle about the aerosol, another mention of these people, but he's also thinking a lot about if this is the battle he's going to die in. So did you think Fiddler would die in this finale? You know, what I would say is that, well, I mean, I don't know. I could never tell who's going to die. But Fiddler, I didn't think would because he just never does. But speaking of, if he did die, would he have ascended? And if he would have, why didn't he just choose to die? I would have died. You would have died. And did, are they telling me that Whiskey Jack is ascended? I think. Yes, but that's And if so, where is he? These are the hard-hitting questions that I have. <laughs> well, if only Do there was if only now? there was some sort of books we could read together to discuss. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, but honestly, I didn't really care about Fiddler's conversation about him whether or not he was dying. The only thing I got from that was like, oh, they're not dead. Yes. But the song is growing, which I think is a great image. And what it's is kind the of, song, though? What it's like the song. Mean? It's it's no, it's, India, it's a, there's a and it's a literal song. I think but it's like, like Love Shack. And also, you know what? We're I think it's like freeform turn. jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I assumed it was like Tibetan throat singing, you know? It's a whirlwind. It's definitely heavy metal. Just un, <laughs> just unlistenable jazz. Dun. Yes. <laughs> the best music. <laughs> Wait, but seriously. What the hell? Why is it? I need to understand something and... If you don't, if I can't understand, it's fine. What did they mean that the bridge burners, like in Raraku, what did that, like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Like they were there and then they left and then they got tied back to it. And now the song calls them. But also, why is it also speaking to Gamut? Is he one too? JB? So I, okay. So I, I don't know about the Gamut thing, but so uh, I think the main thing is that in this book, there is a, a constant mention of the fact that Raraku is just made up of cycles. Right. And and it is in and of itself a giant cycle, like the same things keep happening over and over again. Right. And so the bridge burners uh, and we've we've learned that ascendancy kind of has to do with like being known, being legendary, like pe- like people knowing about your deeds and stuff. So the bridge burners were made in Raraku, right, like because of their uh, their travel across it where like none of them died and they definitely all showed up or whatever. And so the cyclical nature is like them coming back to the place where they were formed and kind of like completing that cycle, like starting there, leaving there, coming back to there. And then, I mean, most of it is like set in motion by in book two, he meet a uh, fiddler meets that dude who's a Tano spirit walker mm. who who's like a, they just kind of their voices are magical or something. We don't really know a ton about them yet. And he gifts them a song. And so like the death of the bridge burners is what kind of sets the next part of motion because you have to die to become a senate it kind of sounds like 
And so like when they all die, that starts their path to ascendancy, but I guess it can't finish until they have completed their cycle within Reriku. And that all is nonsense because it is nonsense because it's crazy Malazan world magic and it's not real, but that's what that's the rules, baby. That's what you got to work with. You guys act like I'm so crazy when I say that I hate these books. And then you say things like that. No, no, no. India, this is, is this is the only shit that I like to read. I want to be here being like, what are we fucking doing? And also, I love it because it's so wild and out That's of what, left. Yeah, like, Adrian said so that too. Crazy. And it's like, no. Josh, uh, we see Korab a bit here and we see him throughout this finale. So now that we see him a bit more throughout the entirety of this ending of House of Chains, what's your read on Korab Binathulis? I still don't know if he's important or not as a person, but his point of view is super important to us. Hmm. That is about all I have. Like, we learn so much by seeing through him, but, like, as a character, he's just kind of there, you know? That name he's... came out in this chapter, and I had no idea who it was. Well, because we he was the guy, he was the desert warrior India in the last section that we saw uh, riding with Leoman and the battle where they got blown up. Mm-hmm. And he was Did the he... dude who put, like, he put the helmet on the bomb, and it just kind of, like, launched him into the yeah, air. Yeah. He was that dude. He was, he's the cartoon character. Um, <laughs> he does have big at Looney Tunes vibes. <laughs> big Looney Tunes. Yeah. Tunes energy. It's running over an empty cliff or a, a, a cliff. <laughs> I didn't um, think you had that in you. Okay. Can I ask India a question? Please. India, I'm wondering, because um, you, you, you've expressed that you have some has, uh, reservations about the end of this book. Uh, did you find the kind of destruction of like all of the alliances within Shaikh's camp like suddenly they were all killing each other did you find that that kind of happened without much warning and with really a lot of just things not explained like kinda I just yeah I mean I feel like I guess technically this whole time it's like well they're definitely gonna they're all like having these little plans which was very clear like they were all talking and making alliances and they're like haha but I'm not actually gonna do that so I knew that everything mm-hmm. would like fall apart, but it just happens like so uneventfully and so quickly. I yes. well, in my opinion, like mm-hmm. everything that happened was like, oh yeah, and that happened. Like, like I didn't feel like anything was actually super like impactful throughout the yeah. entire end of the book. I think and maybe that's, that's the point. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, see, I think it's kind of intentional because the whole time yeah. Corblo Dom is like, well, here's what's going to happen, and then and then it starts happening, and it's just like I think a big part of that is we have a lot of after the event point of views you know we have a lot of walking through the streets and there's dead bodies we go you know in the command tent the there's two mages dead already i you know using that after the fact kind of thing really it makes yeah like the impact is kind of gone aj did you know mathlock would be hyper important in this when we met him because i didn't care about him until all of a sudden i had to be like what do i know about this dude because he is everywhere right now <laughs> no, I mean, no. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm having a hard time recollecting Mathok right now. Mathok's the guy who's like he he's like the leader of the desert tribes that are fighting for Shaik, right? And he's like, and he's an older warrior, like he's been doing yeah, this for a yeah, while, yeah, and he's yeah, really yeah. loyal to the With idea Leoman, of the rebellion. Right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like he Leoman, and they ride to yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just kind of was like not important. It felt like until this chapter when it was like, oh, he's a good guy. I don't know. Let's touch on the camp falling apart 
at the end, um, Haborg and Skalar speak a bit, but this is when Corbolo Dom's assassins first come out in full. They kind of ambush them a bit. Haborg gets wounded. He gets dragged to the <laughs> temple. Haborg rips a dude's head off. Yeah, he goes full treach mode. <laughs> and um, Skalara goes to goes to find Felison younger, and um, kind of chaos is breaking out in Raraku, uh, in, in like the oasis. So where are you at with Haborik right now at the end of this book, India? I love Haborik. Haborik has really just done a whole freaking 180. Like, I mean, he was always cool, but like now, like he's like actually like physically cool. Hmm. And I really like him. I think he is. I, I have no idea where they're going toward the end, but I think that he's being he's being very strategic. I don't know what he how or why he wants Scalara with them. It was really interesting when that fight scene was happening because I'm like not used to somebody not fighting back. And she's just like, ah, yeah, that was funny. Um, Like, like, I was just like, really? Like, you're not gonna. But um, I don't really know. I think that he's been doing a lot of crazy shit. I don't know. Like, I'm just a little confused about his journey, though, because I can't tell if he is, like, cool with who he is now or if he wants to go back to the other guy who he, the, the Jade Hands. My read, I, I think he, I mean, he speaks a bit out about, about his indifference to Treach, but I do. Right, he, exactly. Yeah, I do think he kind of is growing in both that role, but also is engaged with this Jade part of himself right now. I think it's, um, I don't know, I, I, I like Haborik a lot, and I think him kind of having these different feelings about different part of his life is i don't know he's got a lot going Classic on that. internal battle he's got a lot going okay. on that dude you know mm-hmm. um, yeah he does he's a good guy so shai calls some of her commanders together loric speaks to her and then she's like man let's have leoman take over the dog slayers loric why don't you go let corblo dom know that i've ousted him from the position and he sends loric loric gets stabbed um so josh what did you make of this whole sequence and uh this whole kind of last minute roster swap really quickly uh, it was the Oh, go ahead. Is this where you guys threw your books? No. No. Got it. I never threw my book. I loved all this. Okay, Josh, hit me. I thought it was the funniest thing that's happened in this book, personally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, Lorik was such a non-radar blip for me, and then all of a sudden he's one of my favorite characters in this book, and this scene is what cemented it for me, because... Like, he's like, I can talk sense into her. And she's just like, go do this thing. And he's like, oh, she don't, she does. Okay, so she's gone. And then she's, and then he's like, yeah, I'll just do it anyway, though. Like, I, I just, actually, I actually feel like Lorik in this finale and throughout the whole book kind of reveals himself to be really dumb. I feel I, really, here's, I can't I cannot decide if he is the dumbest or smartest character in this book because he goes into this knowing he'll get stabbed and he's just like, but they don't know where my heart is because I'm a hot, I'm an elf and my heart's somewhere different. <laughs> that right? Or like, or like I've hidden, I've hidden my life in magic, even if I bleed to death I right ju- here, I I'll just still feel be like alive. He's, <laughs> I feel like he's cloaked in the same type of sorceress secret see that at all these characters are. But then yeah. when push comes to shove, he's like, Dad. And then <laughs> yeah, yeah, the ending's not yeah. great for him. The ending's not good. Uh-huh. You're never yeah. You're never and then he's like, to meet your dad, man. Okay, bad idea, Shaikh, but I guess I'll do it for you. <laughs> I'm gonna go speak to him. I got, and like I guess I understand that maybe he like wanted to I I mean here's what I'll say. This action sparks Corbolo Dom's like freak out, which yeah. kind of spirals him to make mistakes. So in that way, if that was if that was Lorik's intentions, which we don't know, uh he's then, then it's, brilliant. Yeah, then he's mm. out here playing 40 chess and yeah. you know, just yeah. 
10 steps ahead of us. I think that's I, some, I think that's some Monday morning quarterback revisioning though. <laughs> <laughs> Very generous. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's keep things moving, but it is worth noting that at the end of this chapter, uh, Felis, oh well, Fel- Skillara goes to the Grove, finds Felis and Younger, and they kind of make and more Greyfrog. Fun. And Greyfrog, mm-hmm. he's there. The, the, the de- that demon boy is kicking it in this finale. Yeah. Uh, he I, literally is the only reason that I laugh in this book. It's, it's the funniest. Consistently so fucking good. I love it. Like, Glee gets eat humans. <laughs> I just Calls Felison one that I would marry. I read yes. it to my boyfriend so and he was like, good. why are you reading that? I He only has to say whenever he says the singular word, unsure. I love yeah. like it's just because he's always he's just like, like he's like an yeah. android who has to like say what emotion he's trying yeah. to convey before yeah. he speaks it's the monotone so sentence. My favorite so character so by good. far. Sorry, Pete, I didn't mean to hijack that with Gray Fog speak. Please, but. please. And that, well, I, all I was gonna say is Gray Fog's around. They make some plans, and then Carso rides towards the oasis. Yeah. Um, Carso arrives at the perfect, perfect time. It's called books. <laughs> I agree. Gotta love it. It's it's also, a convergence. I also yeah. back to Lork real quick. His his compatriots, the other Tistilosian, especially later on, they are some intense comedic relief whenever they are in scenes. In my oh opinion. my god, at the end of the book, yes, is it's yeah, so yeah. good. All right, they're the four. Yes, yeah. brother Aeneas, or whatever the. <laughs> I, can't wait, I can't wait to get to that part because it's so fucking. Funny. Let's keep moving. <laughs> Chapter 25 Febril sits on his ridge, channeling his warren and listening to Raraku. Lorik has been dragged aside in the tent. He hears Dom dispatch several orders to his lieutenants. Leoman's return is to be blocked. Febril is soon to be killed. Bidithal's spies are to be set upon and word is to be sent to Tavor. Greyfrog slices through a nearby tent wall and drags him out. Danger is coming for Corblodom. An assassin is looking for Scalara and Felicin, but he and his allies are suddenly slaughtered by Carsa. Carsa intends to find Leoman, but first he asks Felicin and Scalara where he can find Bidithal, Febril, Corblodom, Camus Relo, and Haboric. He plans to kill them all. Mathok and his lieutenant Tamoral take up the Book of Drijna, which has been entrusted to them. Some of the clan is guarding Shaik, others are riding to find Leoman. They agree to see how the battle will fare. Haboric feels Febril's sorceress web torn, sees ghosts in the city, and thinks on himself as Treach's reluctant destriant. He leaves his tent. Kalam takes his acorn and sets out. He battles some assassins who he suspects are talons. He follows a bloody trail into a temple, where he finds a young girl, corpses, and Bidithal. Bidithal invites him, saying he is the high priest of the broken and the chained, that Kalam can't return back to Lassine in chains of his own. Silgar offers him wine. They speak of the Hounds of Darkness, and Bidithal disappears into the darkness. Kalam calls on his Otateral blades, and Cotillion comes to help. Carsa finds Haboric's tent empty, Leoman's as well. 
He goes towards Bidithal's tent, where Silgar crawls out, speaking of a demon-like violence inside the tent. Silgar appeals to Karsa, declaring they are both of the House of Chains, that they are brothers. Karsa denies him and kills Silgar, then he goes to follow the trail of Bidithal. Korab makes his way back to Leoman. Korab says that Leoman is to replace Dom, and they discuss Dom and his assassins. Leoman then decides to take his men and ride towards Shaikh. Kalam briefly thinks on the Warren of Shadows and Cotillion. Then he sets out to find Corblo Dom, who calls himself Master of the Talon. Kalam moves towards them and feels a hand on his shoulder, and the voices of a soldier he knows. Kalam then finds Camus Relo and two assassins. He kills the assassins, and his acorn rolls free, from which Quickben springs. Quickben fatally dispatches Relo and greets his old friend Kalam. Together, they enter Corblodom's tent to see the Lieutenant Henaras dead on the table, a pearl affixed to her. Corblodom says he has sent word to Tavor that the Dog Slayers are ready to cut down Shaikh, and that together they can pacify seven cities. Kalam knocks Corblodom out, and Quickben shares the news of the dead bridge burners. Bidithal thinks on Shaikh and the Nappin's plan, but is caught by Karsa. Karsa throws him to the ground and rips Bidithal's penis off and shoves it in his mouth. Karsa damns him for his actions, and Bidithal dies. Lestara nearly leaves, but Cotillion stops her, saying that their job is near done. That soon the whirlwind goddess would open a massive gate to swallow the oasis, and that she is beginning to be manipulated by the House of Chains. Febril has protected him and senses what has happened to the Napin. Then Karsa finds Febril and kills him. Karsa hears Urugal screaming, being pushed away from the oasis. However, Karsa pushes forward, ghostly chains dragging taut behind him. He does not yield, and the chains will break, or their resistance end. And Karsa moves on. Gamut lies in the cot in intense pain. He blacks out and wakes up without pain, armored and amongst soldiers. He finds Grub, who commands him forward. Gamut rides with a dragon, helmed rider. He rides with the burned tears, and they attack the dog slayers. Screams are all around, and the sound of battle, but it is distant. Together with the other soldiers, Gamut defends memories and slays the dog slayers. He thinks on Tavor and says goodbye. Fiddler and Cork speak about the battle in the morning, and if it will not come. They listen to the song and think the bridge burners have ascended. Then the darkness above the oasis changes. The Omen and Mathic speak together about the rising ghosts of memories, the desert's own memories. Mathic will take the holy book and ride to the city of Yucatan. The holy book is history, not prophecy. The Omen rides with Korab towards Shaikh. Quickban and Kalam are carrying a bound and gagged Corblo Dom. They speak about the song. It's the Tano Spirit Walker song of the Bridge Burners, now sanctified by their death. The Bridge Burners are ascending as a company. However, Kalam is uncertain of the growing darkness. Then Kalam says the Hounds of Darkness have arrived. 
the Daragoth descend on the oasis, only to meet Karsa Orlon, who steps forward and offers them a warning before wounding one and killing the other. Quick and Kalam watch Karsa's battle, and they decide to escape the oasis altogether. Haborik and Laoric meet together. They speak of the House of Chains, sanctification, and entrance in the Deck of Dragons. They speak more of the crippled god, Karsa, the Daragoth, the Knight of Chains. Haborik will take Velison Younger and flee with Greyfrog. Laoric goes to find Shaikh. He wants to save Velison before the whirlwind goddess can claim her. Karsa hunts down the other Daragoth, but Korab and Leoman collide into the Hound by chance and helps Karsa with the battle. Leoman says he needs Karsa's help. Pearl leaves the oasis, but doesn't find Lestara. Rather, he finds Kalam. Kalam hands over Corblodom and says Pearl owes him. Kalam leaves with hidden footsteps beside him. Pearl then watches the dawn. So we are just talking about him, but Lorik is kind of dragged aside. Um, he hears about all of Corblo Dom's various plans. He sets out for all of Corblo Dom's co-conspirators to be killed. And then Greyfrog like slice opens the tent wall is like, yo, bro, I got you. And like, you know, <laughs> saves the day. <laughs> um, so what did you make of all of this? And uh, what did you make of Corpolo Dom's scheme? I know we see it all fall apart, but do you think he ever really had a shot? Um, no, because as far <laughs> as I understood reading this book, literally the only like, as I mentioned, I was very confused, but it appeared that Raraku ghosts just fucked everything up. Fact or fiction? Fact. Fact. So in that way, how could he have ever stood a chance? He had all these plans and they were, none of them were very. Can I, I want to, can I hop in and ask a big question? Hit me. Hit it. What? Okay. Because agreed, all of his plans were shit. With the exception of, is, is he actually the master of the talent that they were looking for? <laughs> like, had, is he like a secret great assassin and has all of these great assassins? I was so confused by this. Because he got called master of the talent, but then it felt very out of place. Hmm. Why do you feel like it's out of place? Oh, AJ, what? Well, I was just going to say, because earlier in the book, I don't remember who it was, uh, but someone said rising to positions just like from being there. And like, uh -huh. I feel like maybe he became master of the talent just because he was around so long. So and maybe was... at some point he was competent, but yeah, now so he's like, not. Was he a talent ever? That, that's what confuses me, right? Because I can't imagine he's master of the talent unless he is one, but he is, as far as I know, just a, a Malazan general who's, you know, been doing a thing and was a fist. So how could he have ever been a talon in order to be their master? Those are the whole, that's the whole thing with the talons, dude. Second, They're everywhere. Second, all of his talons were just like people from seven cities that it sounds like he didn't meet awfully long ago. I don't, I don't know. I, I had a lot of questions about that plot line. Because they my, were very effective, but go ahead, in, Peter. In my reading of it, he mostly, I would say, is almost co-opting the 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 yeah. the name of the Talons because see that's what I thought. But then even people like Kalam, who is not even in the plot lines where they talk about fucking Talons, unless maybe he's a little bit. I don't know. He was just like, oh, it's Talons, and I was like, what makes you think that? I Besides mean, seven foot spacing. 
I mean, <laughs> ultimately, I guess people could just start calling themselves Imperial Claws if they really want to. I mean, I've, yeah. I've been doing that for some time. I get a lot of looks at work. Yeah. Um, but okay. Um, someone earlier on said something like someone outside of of uh, Shaikh's thing said something about a Talon Master. Which makes me think maybe he is an actual Talon Master. But well, I, no, it I was it was Cotillion was looking for the Talon Master. Like he w- wanted to find him because right. there was a Talon on the island with the Tisty Eater and uh, the Tisty Andy. Yeah. So Karsa kind of kills some assassins in the city, and then Mathok and Tomorrow will take the Book of Drajna and kind of leave, and we can talk more about that in a second. But I wanted to come <laughs> to. Kalam, who goes, uh, fights some assassins and then follows their trail into this temple and confronts Bidithal, and then he draws his Ototero blades, and then Cotillion arrives. India, what did you think of Kalam finally making his way into Reriku to this scene? Kalam is cool because he's a very good assassin. Sure. The extent of my feelings for Kalam is that I... <laughs> I don't understand. I still don't understand the like there's just so many parts to understand about what what's going on. Why is he doing this? What is the point? Why is he there? I don't get it. I still don't. You know, he killed all those talons. That's great. Inge, I mostly agree with you. Out of characters that really resonate with me, Kalam has never been one. I mean, he certainly is good at the stabbing. You know, you can't and it, and deny it. And it's entertaining it. to see, I, to read. I do, and I, mm-hmm. I like that, you know. But I also, I just, I don't, I'm just not interested. I'm not invested in his journey, like, in this book. Prior, I think it was pretty interesting. But for this book, I'm, I mean, I'm glad he was there. But you were just a, a side character to me. Mm. Right. Damn. But we cut to outside the tent when once kind of the battle starts, where we find Karsa, who kind of searches the ground, find Habork's empty tent, Leomans as well. And then he goes and finds Silgar, who has crawled out. And he's like, yo, it's me, your fellow House of Chains member. You're the knight. I'm the <laughs> leper. We get along. And then Karsa is like, doesn't accept his new position. He really keeps trying to turn down this position um, <laughs> and then kills Silgar and then goes off to find Bidithal. I was yeah. happy when he did that. Not going. Long. I like when he kills Silgar and he's like, "Man, Leoman was right. I should have just killed him before." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would have saved some time. Um, I kind of really like that moment when Silgar's kind of tempting him. He's like, "You should go in and kill these two. Like, say, save mm-hmm. us." You know? Did I? Did anyone think that Carsa would? No. 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 I feel like if anyone tells Carsa to do something, he's just like, it almost assuredly he'll do the opposite. That is not my journey, yeah. and it is my yeah. decision to make my journey. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. How? How? First, how dare you? Second. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So Korab meets up with uh, Leoman, and then he they, they're kind of deciding what to do because they've just received word to go meet up with the Dog Slayers. So eventually they decide to do this, but Korab's has seen that some other assassins have been here, and he narrowly makes it through. AJ, do you have a big read on Korab in any part of this? No. Uh, I feel like he's just kind of loyal to Leoman presently. Yeah, uh, I don't really feel like he's much deeper than that. Well, let's leave it there then and push on to another big chunk where Kalam, you know, he thinks a little bit about Cotillion and all this, but then he's like, I'm going to go find Corblo Dom. He goes out, he kills some assassins. He he follows Camus Relo and then quick bend, put your bow 
oh, you know, Quick Ben shows up and like, you know, the the theater goes wild and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, together they kill Camus Relo and then they go in and find um, a pearl on a dead Henaris and then they find Corblo Dom and Corblo Dom is like, I've won. We're going to get Shike to surrender. Yeah. Like, I've sent word to the adjunct. And then the dude gets fucking blasted in the face. Yeah. <laughs> he gets fucking punched. Knocked Josh, out. Josh, you're flailing your hand. I, I have to get in here on this, because this is this bothered the shit out of me when I'm reading this. Okay. I that This has to actually be Corbelo Dom's plan, right? Like, what do you mean? I, <laughs> like, I feel like a big part of his... I feel like maybe all along he was going to try and get Tavor to be like, nah, 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 we're on the same side. And that just seems like the dumbest thing I've ever heard because he crucified an entire army. And how does he think that that is not the only thing people think about him all the time? You yeah. know what I mean? I don't... Like, even if this is, like, the last-ditch gamble, it's not even one you make because there, it, there's just a zero... It just blew my mind. It was very confused. Why did they not kill him? Uh, because they want a fate worse than death for him for the moment. Slash... I don't know. Something they like that. Deliver him to the Empress. Yeah, it's... I, I gotta tell you, whatever happens to him ain't gonna be good. Ugh. Uh... I do want to oh I do want to say very I love I love Steve's choice to be like there's a witch Hanara because I was like I don't want to kill another bad guy I don't care about this person <laughs> and then it's just like it's okay they're already dead Pearl was here here's your hint yeah. and I was like thank you thank do you, you it's a pearl do you get it <laughs> um, India what did you make of this little uh, sequence with Kalam and then Quick Ben's surprise appearance in the book so. My question is, when he rolled the egg corn, did he, when, when the egg corn <laughs> fell from the tree, oh, did he know, that, like, was it just an egg corn that fell from a tree and they were like, okay, I'm going to, like, like, what, I need to understand, did he know when the egg corn fell? Because he said something when it fell, that like, yeah, like, what he was did, the point? He said something like cryptic a, as a yeah, joke or yeah. something. Yeah. They did I, for, I forgot so even like, that the egg corn fell that egg corn. and, oh. I, can, I forgot that he picked it off the ground. I was just like, I guess he's had an egg corn the whole time. I liked oh, it because oh, it was, no, wasn't that like, wasn't a quick Ben with the egg corn head guy? Yeah. Um, Talamandus is his name. Talamandus. Oh shit, yeah. Forgot about Talamandus. I thought that was, I don't know if that was like intentional, but if it was. Well, and the egg corn is a, is a thing in the, in Gardens of the Moon, right? Yeah, the finest. Yeah, that. that's a finest, but I think that's a pretty different thing. I could relate yeah, to Talamandus. Yeah, but when he throws it, I thought that when he threw it, they were like, oh no, it's like a, a thing. Like there's going to be some big magic thing that happened. Like I, not just like a distraction of an egg corn on the ground. I thought it was like. Steve's just, Steve's just hoary for acorns. Quick Ben shows up. I definitely Quick know ben that. Quick Ben does show up, yeah. I love Quick Ben. I love him and Kalam. They're so yeah, cute. Say, See, that's a bromance that I could truly ship. I agree, and we'll get to it later when there's the big group hug at the end. Gotta love oh, it. You know? Beautiful, beautiful. Um, but then, India, uh, Karsa, <laughs> in Reraku, goes and finds Bidithal, who's, like, doing some more scheming, but he then kind of dismembers him and uh, kills kills Bidithal. So what did you think of this? Okay, okay. I just have some questions. If Bidithal was like so like powerful that they were like, okay, yeah, let's not fuck with him. Why now? What happened to his power that Karsa was just able to just be like, I'm going to grab it, I'm going to squeeze it, I'm going to rip it off. How? Karsa is like partially immune to magic because of all the years of the blood oil from and the and the blood stuff bloodwood from his homeland well india 
Are you asking about why Bidithal, this moment, was so weak that he was so easy to kill? Or are yes, you asking... Yes, that's what I'm asking. That's okay. what I'm asking. Yeah, I think it has to do with that. I also think to do with that he's coming off fighting Cotillion and Kalam, which I would imagine weakens him. And, you know... It was, a, it was well, taxing he also, physically and emotionally. I imagine he wouldn't really be expecting it either yeah. because they're, was, both, they're most members of the House of Chains. Yeah, I was going to also say it's kind of like right now he is like, he is super overextended. Him and Febril both. I think that's what's their downfall is. They are like, they are keeping track of everything everywhere except literally right around them because they're so confident no one could get through all of their sensory shit. Yeah. J- Josh, how did you feel about this? The, the, I thought the kill was the most satisfying and also worst thing I've ever I read. Because I've hated Bidith all this whole time, but I was like, even him, maybe not this. It was a, it was a tough read. Mm. I feel like definitely that, if anything. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I personally do not like this at all, and I find it very unsatisfying to the bit to the to the storyline. I, I, I know Steve's trying to take an exploration of maybe that type of point of view here in this book, but mm-hmm. I mean, the answer of we should kill the bad man, I don't think is a particularly interesting one or an insightful one. And I don't think seeing the real bad dude be br- be killed very brutally. I, yeah. like, I, I get nothing out of that there besides, are... I guess, some fleeting satisfaction that like a really bad person was murdered and I... some part of me is like, Huzzah, I guess. Yeah, like the Febril thing. Okay, so I want to juxtapose it with Febril, right? The Febril Carsa getting him felt better to me because that was just kind of like, I don't care about him. He's definitely the weakest link of the, of all of them. I just need his storyline ended. And that was a quick way to it. I don't, you know, versus like the Biddlethal thing, like it was such a big part. And for it to just kind of like for this dude to just kind of like, and then he dies. That's that was my issue. Yeah. And that solves everything. And that's why I think this ending for his storyline just leaves me with nothing because ultimately I feel like he was just a really bad dude who gets murdered. And yeah. I, I don't I don't feel like I, I don't see anything else there in, in my reading of it. And AJ, what do you think? You know, I, I think I, I fully agree. Um, I felt unsatisfied after it. Because it, like you said, Pete, it's just like, oh, the bad guy dies in a horrific way. And then we see that he's going to be tortured by demons forever, which is like, okay, okay, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Um, But like, then it just made me think like, well, if this is how he's going to end, why even have him in the book at all? (laughs) Yes, yes, that's exactly. Yeah, his all it did was like hurt other characters. I don't know, but that could have been happy. I don't know. I I'm with you, AJ. Yeah, I think there could have been other ways that like Felison, like you know, Felison Younger became you know broken or whatever. Like she was. It, it didn't need to be what and you know. Oh, there didn't need to be a whole cult. Wasn't about she already it. broken? Like, why did we have to rebreak her? I agree. Yeah, the whole point I'm of her little you. orphan story. Yeah, yeah, yeah is, exactly. Yeah. It could have just been like, oh, yeah, she's an orphan. That she could have watched Shaikh die like, and that be pretty... and break, that could have broken her, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Bidithal was a bad character and I don't think he needed to be in this book. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, I, I never thought of it the way you guys are saying. Like, there, like, I was just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That is what he said he would do. So he did it. But um, sure. when you put it that way, though, I do get what you're saying, because then, like, I mean, what was the point right. of this character? If he, it was just, yeah, it was, I don't know. But then again, and there's everything, e- I, go ahead. I was just going to say, and there's even 
there's even another way for a character to be introduced and die to be like, oh, well, they were pointless. Like, I don't know. It just kind of feels like the point that I was trying to be made with Bitothal was just like bad people exist, period. It's just <laughs> like, uh, OK, yes, I, I, I do think Steve was trying to say I, I sorry, I, I don't want to address it to Steve. I do think the book is trying to get at something more there. But I don't really think it goes anywhere. And if the, the, and right. if this is the ending, it makes me feel, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I, I think there's an interesting juxtaposition that could be made between Memories of Ice being all about compassion and this book being all about vengeance slash balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but which which I think is part of the point. I mean, obviously, yeah. in, going into this finale, it is all about all these characters that are dealing with these chains and these things they're holding on to and their right. past it is it is all right. about how they ultimately come to deal with it which i do think there's thematic cohesion between a lot of these storylines so that is were something you guys, <laughs> were you guys english majors <laughs> the no. hell with all these insightful thoughts i literally i literally did not even ever think about it like that wow great either, job Me thank you guys that's a very helpful thought because I like I just wonder what the point of any of these books is really other than like the <laughs> obvious story. But then you guys are like, oh, yeah, and the juxtaposition between like forgiveness and I'm um, with India. I'm always just like words on page book. Yeah, I do not think, interesting to think about it that way, especially when it comes yeah. to the conversations with Steve, because I'm just like, so. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate your guys is uh, actual like analyzing of this because I I just don't. It's tough because I kind of just want to break down into a big conversation about the book, but I think I kind of want to keep walking through this And we finale. have a wrap-up episode that can do that, too. Um, yeah, we have to give the people what they want. <laughs> so so there's a scene with Lestara and Febril, but we're going to move past them for now because to build on what you're talking about these chains, I think the metaphor about the chains kind of representing your past or what you're dealing with or the suffering is most made explicit, I feel, in this section where Karsa feels these spectral chains drawing on him and he says something how they will either break or the the resistance will end and he like strains against them but ultimately is able to move on i really like this passage and i think it's getting at that you know that these things in your past are something that karsa he is trying to drag along or drag against and ultimately um i don't know josh what did you make of all this in these chains we're in the house of chains i don't know i can't tell if it's a metaphor or not ever a lot I of mean, times go ahead def- i'm just gonna say it definitely is right? yeah I, I i have real problems reading uh, it because like i'm not good at metaphors a lot of the time like i'm i i so i only read like the actual literal stuff and then i'm like this means something next I, so mm. i don't i'm not really sure so aj you mentioned it earlier this brings us to a, a long <laughs> part of the book that not only resolves what's happening with the ghost of Reraku and the dog slayers but it also resolves Gamet's story as he kind of lies in a bed joins the battle and eventually says goodbye and later we learn he dies of this blood clot but really this is kind of the finale for him in this time just a quick question about that scene was he dead already yes when he did that he, yeah he dies at the beginning of this scene yeah did yeah. you guys you don't know that though until no. he's they I, say that he died right or did you because when he said goodbye i thought they were just leaving yeah aj and i texted about this last night and we both agreed that while reading this scene we were like i should be get there's something here i should know 
And then the next day, you're like, fuck! It was right there. Randomly, like, yeah, let's go, let's go fight. Yeah, well, because it's because I, I, this didn't even click at the moment, and I feel so fucking dumb. (laughs) Um, Because it's it's he, it starts with him lying on his cot, and he's like, man, this this pain really sucks. It's been days, Uh, and then. Groaning, he clambered sideways from the cot and halted his on his hands and knees, head hanging down as waves of trembling shivered through him. I need to move. I need to act. Something, anything. I need. And then it just says a time of blankness. Then he found himself standing near the tent flap. So that is where he died. And his ghost was then standing at the tent flap. But for mm-hmm. me, it was just like, oh, he blacked out because he's got this headache. Yeah. And now he's at the tent flap. Casual. And fucking duh. Dude, <laughs> yeah, I felt so dumb. It's just I think I think part of what is so what was or what was so hard to track with that is that like dude just has like an aneurysm, which is like the least <laughs> fantasy death. Yes, that's that's <laughs> like, what makes it. I think it hurts worse than most because it's for so sure. mundane. Yeah, because it's like oh he got hit in the head with the horse, duh. Yeah, and so it like really fucked his brain up. It's like when a character in a book like breaks, like it would be like if a character in a book broke their arm and like Oregon Trail style died two weeks later because it didn't heal right. Yeah, it's like, oh, they you got know? cut on a nail and they shit themselves to death. Like, yeah, yeah. they, they had broke cholera. their leg and then it didn't heal right and then they died. Yeah. Well, okay. But okay, we got stabbed through the chest by a sword. It's not that his knee yeah, got stabbed through the chest by a big bone died. man. I think sword that's, killed but, but, him. Yes. Yeah, I, exactly. It's the mundanity of that. that yeah. It's just like, it didn't even, there wasn't even a blip on my radar that was like, oh, maybe something weird happened here. It was just like, oh, maybe he blacked he out because like he's in pain. Problem. And yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe he needs to see a doctor. <laughs> yeah, he needs some Western medicine. Yeah, it's just really, and I don't know, I want to read this section again now, knowing that like this is his his death mm. rattle pretty much um because in the moment i was like hell yeah dude like like chase your bliss go you know say goodbye to tavor you've you've been mm-hmm. in service to her your whole life you know it's time for you to move on and i was like really happy for him and then the beginning Same. of the next chapter i was yeah, like yeah fuck me i'm so sad yeah um so i, I just uh, i love gamut and i you know i'm happy that he is able to move on with these spirits of Rariku, um but Man, is it sad. Mm-hmm. Man, does it make me sad. Yeah. So I mean, ultimately, he's kind of coming back to himself in a way. I mean, really, it's... Yeah. It, yeah it's he's coming memories. back to being a soldier, which That's is, all he which is like the whole time. what he... Right, exactly. He wanted to be a soldier this whole time, and then... Oh, man. She will understand and be pleased, as am I. Goodbye, Adjunct Tavor. Like, that is so sad when you read it fuck. again. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. First, it was like a happy goodbye. And yeah. Then was like, mm. I was like, yeah, dude, do it. Go for it. <laughs> it's just like, but like, shit. isn't it still happy, you know? It is still happy, but it's also the, the, man, the, the dude fuck. died. Yeah. Like, Maybe uh, he ascended. I have to say, I, I think it. Gamut is my <laughs> favorite character of this book. You know, mm. I don't think he's really the central character of this book in, the, in any sure. way. I, you're, Josh, you're giving me a big no-no sign, but I've always really Indy liked agrees him. With, Indy agrees with me. I, I feel disagree. like Gamut has a re- one really good scene and then a very sad ending, and the rest of the book, he's just kind of like, I wish there. I was a soldier. I'm bad at leading. Like, that's like most of his character. <laughs> I'm a born my, POV. Eat we, my we, ass. We are really <laughs> splitting the podcast down the middle of this episode, because I agree I agree with Pete. I think he's not, I don't think, I don't know if he's my favorite character, but he, his character hits me in a way that Idkovian hit me. 
I knew uh, you were going to say that. I knew you guys. Well, I don't know. If he's just a good way. dude who, you know, who meets a tragic end. Like, I, I just, I love those characters. He's man. no like, Covian, but I know yeah, what you're saying. He's no Covian, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, like yeah, the same, it's the same vibes. You know what I mean? It's a very similar vibe. I got I the same I feelings. That. And I, I obviously, I wasn't as sad when Gamut died as I was when Edkovian died because Edkovian, it was like made this huge deal of and also Edkovian did, did a lot. Like Gamut didn't really do a whole lot, honestly, uh, except be loyal to Devor and like kind of make that his whole life. But I, I don't know. I, I agree with Pete. I really, really love Gamut in this book. We're going to keep moving and Fiddler and Korok speak a little bit about the song of the bridge burners. But I wanted to quick touch on Leoman and Mathic for maybe the last time. Um, so they speak a little bit about the holy book of Drijna and that it's not a book of history, but it is a book. Uh, sorry, it's not a book of prophecy. It is a book of history. And then they yeah. agree that the rebel forces should retreat to the city of Yucatan. So, mm-hmm. Josh, um, what did you think about this conversation about the book of Drijna? And what do you think about these rebel forces? So I forgot that there was a literal book. Honestly, yeah, uh, I thought it was interesting to learn that Mothok was like, oh, yeah, my tribe and me like we put, like our job is to hold and protect this book. And I was like, didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Um, in terms of the rebels, uh, I have to say that at, it was at this point that it all felt kind of pointless. And I think if I was a rebel, I would feel so unbelievably disillusioned. Yeah, because at this point, like your renegade Malazan allies are dead. All of your high mages are dead. It was all for not. You find out that like none of the people who ha- who you thought were fighting for you, none of them were. You had a crate. You have a crazy goddess who just wants to make this her own kingdom and doesn't need humans in it. You have all these other people who were like, I don't care what happens to seven cities. I just want to cement my place where it belongs. I just feel like I would I would just go home. I'd be like, yeah. I guess at this point, I'm just gonna, I'm farmer now. I'm, yeah. I'm farmer mathic. I, I don't know. I felt. I feel. I honestly feel more sympathy for the the like native rebels in this book than I do. I think for anybody else. I I feel really bad for them. I fully agree. And something we'll talk about a little bit later. I really am. I do not like the Malazan Empire at all, and their colonialist effort on this continent. Is. Yeah, it's it's very hard to decide because like you hear that the Malazans aren't perfect, right? There's definitely things that they do that are not great. But you also hear several times that before the Malazans, like the like the level, like it just basically was like wherever you're born really determined exactly how much freedoms you had and how much law there was and like how you know that kind of stuff. And I get the idea that like having a set amount, you know, set laws order can be good, but I I, I don't know. It's it's very. I mean, there's no. I'm not here to solve imperialism. That's not my job on this podcast. So uh, it's very interesting. And I, I do. I just feel so bad for all of them. You're just not going to talk me into the imperial effort, Josh. Um, I'm, yeah, I know. I know. But let's so quick. Ben and Klom briefly are like carrying around Corblo Dom and they're like speculating about the future. And then they they kind of see the Daragoth arrive and they kind of watch Karsa kill one and then the other one gets away and um, sorry they watch Karsa suplex one that's <laughs> true grab him and then fucking suplex it while the other one is eating his leg keep in mind <laughs> or something crazy so Inge what did you think about the Hound of Darkness emergence into this climax and then their their quick disposal okay <laughs> Um, okay, nice comment. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
what's the point of these? What, 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 okay. Where do these, where do they come from? Who summoned them? Troll and Unrak broke the statue that they were trapped in. What's the point of them? <laughs> yeah. To be what big is the and point scary. Of them in this, like, what is, I just don't understand the, why even discuss it? Why is it even in there? Oh, wow. He killed really strong dogs. At best, mm-hmm. India, I think it's showing how much more powerful the the Warren of Darkness is than Shadow. But, like, that's a straight... I mean, we, there's other ways to do it. We don't need two big scary dogs. Yeah. I, I didn't have any super, like, wow feelings about it. It was just like, oh, Kars is still strong. Awesome. I, I do think there's a part here where it is about the crippled god in the House of Trains trying to amass power, right? About trying to claim this fragment of Kral Damaroin, about mm-hmm. trying to have the High Mage Bidithal, about how, trying to have Karsa have all these things. And, and that includes them trying to... Yeah, the crippled god trying to uh, co-opt the Daragoth in a way. But I agree, that's my most generous defense. I mostly feel like you do, that I mm-hmm. guess Karsik was good at killing these dogs, you know? Also, does anyone else get, like, a strong One Punch Man vibe from Karsa whenever, <laughs> like, especially when he's killing these dogs? Yeah. India, you don't know what that is, and that's fine. It's a very good anime. Furthermore, Steve's <laughs> a weeb evidence, you know? Furthermore, yeah. <laughs> We've got a weeb alert. Uh, okay. That's all I have. Weeb alert. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's a few more things at the end of this chapter. <sighs> but Haborik and Lorik speak a bit about the House of Chains being entered properly into the Deck of Dragons. They try Ooh. to speculate about the Crippled God, kind of like what I was just saying. And then eventually Haborik and Felis and Younger and Greyfog and Scalara are set out. Whilst Lorik goes to find Shake, I even think they say something like, let's like try and save both Felicens if like save one Felicen if you can yeah, or something. Yeah, I Hold on, wait, I, I marked I marked the quote. Uh, there are two Felicens, Lorik then murmured, eyes half failed, save the one you can, Haboric Light Touch. Yeah. And then he and then he does. So what did I think of this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, cool. We're all we, we all have a we all have new missions now, I think. Uh, yeah. Like we are no longer, except maybe Lorik is kind of still doing the same thing, trying to trying to to save Shaik or whatever, uh, trying to salvage this Shaik situation. Yeah, I think this for me, this part's kind of weirdly placed because it's like not really with anything else in the rest of this chapter, but they like need to get out of Raraku before it like floods. So mm-hmm. I guess this needs to happen now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the I think the weirdest part about this section for me is the postulation on the crippled god because like. Like, a lot of stuff's going Wah. on. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, I guess these characters need to talk about it. I guess Haboric needs to think about it because he's now, you know, Destrian of Treach. I don't know, especially with with where Lorik ends up at the end of this chapter. It's just like going back to his childhood bed. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of a it was kind of a weird section. There's some great gray frog bits in there. Like He has like a whole paragraph where he just like keeps saying the emotion that he's trying to convey. It's very good. But yeah, uh, I don't know. Haboric and and uh, Scalara are on their way to save Felis and Younger, and Lorik is gonna go say hi to Shaik again. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. But it's quick noted that Pearl and Lestara get Corblodom at the end of this chapter, and then Kalam and Quickben go off a separate way. But let's talk Cotillian, more about that. The Cotillion squad meets up for a second. That's true. Let's talk more about that in the final chapter. Chapter 26 Shaik looks inward towards her life as a girl, then to the whirlwind goddess. Shaik sees that the goddess's hatred is insane and out of proportion. 
however, that she and the goddess walk the same path. Shaikh then dons her armor and her helm. Loric walks towards the Dog Slayer's camp, but it is quiet. Kerald Merlin is waking, and the whirlwind goddess prepares to claim it and devour Reriku. He nears Shaikh's hill, and Karsa comes upon the Tistli Ocean. Karsa speaks of those he has killed and others dead. Karsa says the Dog Slayers have been slaughtered. Leoman believes the rebellion can be saved, but Shaikh must join them and flee Reriku. Shaikh then steps over the hill, and Loric opens his warren to go to her. The whirlwind goddess thinks of her fury and her once husband's betrayal. Her husband's drawing of another woman and then his exile from their clan. The goddess's rage had not died and burns hot. She is ready for her vengeance. Shaikh descends down the hill and she ignores the calls of Karsa and Leoman. Captain Kenneth comes to the adjunct Tavor and says that Gamut has died of a brain clot. Tavor steadies herself when hearing the news. She asks for to Amber, but words has come that Shaikh has entered the basin and offered a challenge to Tavor. After short consideration, Tavor dons her armor and goes. Laoric has entered the goddess's warren and finally can see her. An ancient, furious Imas chains slowly coming to her body. Laoric tries to shout out to the goddess. She is stuck in a web of vines, but then Laoric is stabbed. Corblodom's talons ambush the goddess and kill her. Chains snaking over her fallen body. Laoric is dying, but Osric appears to save him, saying he will bring Laoric home. Shaikh stumbles, the whirlwind goddess gone from her. Tavor descending towards her. Shaikh feels like Felicin once more, and she says blood is the chain, the chain that can never break. Tavor draws closer, her weapon drawn. Then Felicin and Tavor are the same, and that blood is heavy, so heavy. A sword punches through Felicin's chest, and she falls down, looking to her sister, wondering why Tavor did not love her. Wondering what their mother would think. The omen is shocked, seeing Shaikh killed, and he turns to Karsa. Leoman decides he will ride to Yucatan with the others, but Karsa won't join him. They say goodbye. Pearl and Lestara Yil watch Felicin's death and they walk down the hill towards Tavor. They see the Crow Clan standard raised over the Dog Slayer's camp, the song crescendoing. And then Tavor greets them. Pearl offers Corblo Dom to the adjunct, then reports to Tavor that they found Felicin, and she is dead. Tavor asks for certainty, and they offer it. Then she leaves to find her officers. Pearl and Lestara decide to bury Felicin's body and agree that Tavor looks alone. Tavor joins her commanders, saying to send scouts to the Dog Slayer's camp, and that Corblo Dom has been delivered to them. They speak of those ghosts that attacked the Dog Slayers and who is amongst them, 
Captain Kindly and Lieutenant Pores reported to Tavor. The adjunct then says that the army will ride after Leoman, declaring that the rebellion will be ashes on the wind when they're done. Then Karsa Orlong rides to them and says the Malazan are not his enemies, and he rides away. Lieutenant Rannell rides forward with Fiddler and Cuddle behind them. The other squads have not joined. Rannell notices some fleeing warriors and ignores warning and rides dangerously into a sandstorm. Gessler sees Tisleosian riding towards them, and he uses his new munitions crossbow to cause a huge explosion and scare off the Tisleosian. Jorad recovers with the other Laotian, and they speculate about Gessler, and then decide to retreat to their realm. In the sandstorm, Fiddler is knocked off his horse. He almost loses his bag of explosives, but Korab briefly catches it before returning to the ground. A nearby explosion is massive and nearly lethal. Fiddler hears a voice and cries out to who he thinks is Hedge. Then Cuddle finds them, and he learns Rannell has died that Fiddler has lived, and the song of Reriku and his heart are matching in cadence. Fael flees with the remaining dog slayers, only to be caught and killed by Sin. Sin rejoins the Ashok regiment, and they ride to join the others in the rising Reriku. Pearl and Lestariel are together after burying Shaikh. They are on a high hill and look out at the adjunct's army, which has been positioned properly in the holy desert. A sea rises from the past, the basin will be flooded. Fiddler sits with his squad waiting for the sea, thinking the sound of its song is warm and comforting. Then two men step out to greet him, brothers, and they embrace. Hiborg, Scalara, and Felison Younger look down from a ridge to the sea, only to learn about Lorik's fate from Iskarl Pust, who invites them to be guests. Cutter is alone and confused in the Temple of Shadow. Cotillion comes to find him. They speak together about Absalar, paths worth walking, and Felicin Elder's life. Cotillion says that soon Felicin Younger will come to the temple with others, and then Cotillion charges Cutter with protecting the child. They speak a bit about balance, and then of love, and Cutter knows why Absalar had to leave. Karsa Orlong then looks out across the new sea, pulls out the remains of Sibel. He speaks to her of her past, and then his own, saying once he believed in only glory, but he has learned that glory is nothing, which cannot be said for mercy. He throws her into the water and goes to ride west, hoping to be worthy to lead his brothers. I just wanted to point out, I think Steve's writing at the beginning of chapter 26 is really just like really strong. And he writes about this long passage about Felicin and in it, it has the line, you know, Felicin's there and she's looking at Shaikh's armor and she says, she stood imprisoned in a stranger's armor, which I think is some terrific writing from Steve because not only is it calling upon some motifs he's written about with uh, Felicin before, but it's speaking about, I don't know, man, it's just getting to a lot of stuff. And I think mm-hmm. this opening here is doing a lot of work um, and it goes a long way in this chapter, I feel. I agree. I was waiting for one of them to say something, but Ditto. I agree. Yeah, I agree, too. I like how um, when he was writing, like he'd call her Shaikh Felsen, 
But yeah. then at some points he would just call her Felicin and at some mm-hmm. points he would just call her Shaik, which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting to describe. Like, I don't know, I guess I, I feel when it was the Felicin parts, um, you can she just doesn't want to be there at all. And it's like this whole time we're thinking or for a while, I guess, in the last book and the beginning of this book, we're thinking like, well, I was thinking she's free and, you know, she's this powerful person now when in reality she just went from like one prison to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So y'all finally got your moment where uh, Shaikh is in Felsen now. How you feeling? Huh? Because in Dead House Gates, they were like, oh, where was the moment that Felsen became Shaikh? And now uh, we got it. Uh, <laughs> Here it is. How do you feel? I feel, I feel sad and unfulfilled. <laughs> same, same. So sad. To say them, I feel empty. <laughs> but, let's, let's touch on that in a second. Lorik meets up with Karsa and they kind of make this plan and, and Karsa... And they see kind of the slaughter. And then Laura goes to try and find Shaikh. And Karsa speaks briefly with Leoman, who's going to ride to join the others. Leoman believes he can rally the rebellion, but he needs to talk Shaikh into retreating. And then Shaikh kind of emerges onto the battlefield. Josh, how did you feel about this whole sequence at this point? Did you really know where we were going? Um, I feel like I had... Hit, okay, so it was chapter... Here, here's my exact thought. Was chapter twenty six, and I was like, oh, "Okay, well, Shaikh has to die." And my exact thought was, "There's too many characters in the Malazans that we haven't seen in a bit, so uh, we can't get to all of them in one chapter." So I guess Shaikh needs to die this chapter. Uh, so, and, and when she walked out in the armor, it felt very like fatalistic. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, "Okay, this is this is how she die." Okay, I got it now. Um, that was kind of my thought on it. Uh, so you were feeling some doomed vibes. I don't know how you wouldn't be feeling doomed vibes. Even Leoman being like, we can rally. I was like, oh, dude, you can just go. No, we're good. You can't. Just well, I mean, he's like, like, oh, shit. And just <laughs> disappears. Yeah, oh, my God. Lorik being, yeah, being like, I'm out. Whoosh, portal. Was, was Literally, he sees her and is like, ah, fuck. That is, can I say, that's my dream superpower. Just mm-hmm. to just like walk into a situation. And if I need to be like, ah, portal out. <laughs> So India, Tavor hears about Shaikh descending down the hill and she she decides to meet the challenge and she puts on her own armor and goes to the basin. India, were you feeling similar doomed vibes? Where were you at before we actually got to the confrontation? I was not feeling doomed vibes. I don't know what I was expecting. I definitely wasn't expecting what actually happened. I thought that there would at least be some kind of like the like I expected there to be some recognition of any kind about anything between them. It was the whole point of Felicin's whole pissed off and like upset situation in the whole two books only for there to be nothing but her to kill her, not even know that she killed her. Yeah, that was rough. It pissed, felt I... pissed, fury, rage, anger is how I felt. I, I'm getting red just think I'm like sweating already. I literally was not expecting that at all. I'm sorry that I just jumped right into it. I it it, it was not at all what I, I literally read it like three times to be like, is it this? This is what happened. But now I kind of get it. Now that we've been talking about it, I feel like it, it it's just like, wow. And you thought. But no, it was actually completely uneventful and nothing happened and Tavoris mm. is going to go. I, 
it makes one in one of these fucking books she finds out that she not only sent her sister to be a slave but then killed her uh uh, listen Uh, we've since we're in it i I just want to say i i think this ending the ending the ending in total doesn't really work for me but this uh, this fellas in tavor thing really does in a lot of ways i think it's a great scene People use the word tragic a lot to describe the Fellison story and what happens to her in this book. And I don't I really can't jive with that because to me, I think tragedy has to do with some sort of flaw that you are following and ultimately it consumes you. And I guess you could say the flaw of Fellison is that she just becomes obsessed with this vengeance of her sister or that she just can't let it go or something or I don't know. But, I mean, Fellison was deeply wronged, you know, deeply, Mm -hmm. deeply wronged. And Tavor, you know, has done nothing to face it at this time. And and, and the idea that the problem of this finale was that Fellison was too upset at her sister, you know, I I, like I'm not saying she was in the right or anything, but... I don't know. It just the idea that this is a tragic outcome for her. It, it like it's very sad, but I don't think it's tragic. And it, maybe I'm being pedantic, but Josh, I, I've had a lot of strong, disparaging words for Fellison. Um, but I felt yeah, I felt indignant for her in this because I think it. I felt that it is unacceptable that Tavor does not have to reckon with what she has done. And I think that that reaction is probably exactly what Steve wanted. And in that sense, he's very successful here because I'm still mad that Tavor gets to walk away and eventually she'll get lied to or she gets told your sister died and she goes, hmm. And like, no, you murdered her. And I, I, if she does not reckon with that in later books, I will lose my mind. My, my point isn't necessarily even about Tavor. I think it's more about that there's, you know, at the beginning of it, uh, Fellison's like, man, look at these people, uh, this doomed conflict, you know, just violence on both sides that are wrong. And man, and then she goes and dies because I guess she's so consumed by this whole thing. And it doesn't really acknowledge for me that deep wrongness that she has been done and that the Empire is doing. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that the the rebellion is morally correct in this violence or whatever but i mean tavor did send her sister to slavery and yeah uh i will i am indignant about that i have a question yes so when she does walk out do you think that she's still like in is she shy fully no. at that point <sighs> well, or do you think well, that she's like felison being like dragged out or is she felison like choosing to go out well let's touch on that Mm. because we we were kind of building up to it and then we really got we really jumped right into it and sorry sorry no you it's a hot topic so we we see a little bit of the whirlwind goddess and then loric goes in we learn more about the goddess herself and then we see uh loric get attacked and corblodom's talons ambush the whirlwind goddess and kill her so aj what did you make of this whole sequence and learning about the whirlwind goddess uh, i don't know uh i wouldn't really i don't feel like i would say learning about the whirlwind goddess is an accurate depiction of that scene because it's just kind of like 
I don't know. I, I, I guess she says things like, I stole her, my child, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then her chains are breaking. Sure. But I, I don't know. It's just kind of like, yeah, we knew we knew Dreijna was like this. Uh, uh, I, I think we knew that the whirlwind goddess was like this chaotic being, right? Just kind mm. of hungering for literally the apocalypse. So I wouldn't really say I got a whole lot out of seeing her for like, I don't know, four paragraphs before she gets stabbed to death, you know? Yeah. Um, can, I, yeah. can I ask a question? Sure. Because I feel like there are ramifications to this scene that I sure. don't, that I, that I, I have to know if this is just like a one-off. Because, because we know that Shaikh is the whirlwind goddess and i i feel like at some point we've said it's been said that she is ascended am i incorrect in that i think you are incorrect in that i think and i do See, that I, was my and okay. i would never say shaik is the whirlwind goddess i would say she okay, was so being that's sh- that's what i was trying to wrap my head around because she, i, we I, call I would her, say she was being possessed or maybe channeling okay. the divine presence of or something be, like that because we keep calling her goddess and saying that she's all powerful and it was very confusing because i i likened her to a cotillion to a shadow throne and what confused me is that she had a physical body. Do you know what I mean? Versus yeah. other ascendants, it seems like they can choose to manifest physically or something. And versus she had a very real, very, very mortal body that yeah. I was very taken aback by. Could just be like also just found and assassinated. Yeah. I think Shaikh was more of a vessel mm. for the whirlwind goddess. Certainly. Well, I get that, and- but I'm talking about the, the one that got killed in the Warren. Because I'm still kind of confused on that, like, go ahead. I think that was the whirlwind goddess proper. Yeah. Right. And so the whirlwind goddess was really just, I don't know, it just, it, it really felt strange to have a mortal body just kind of existing for that long that could be manifesting that power. I don't know. It threw me off. It really, because that made me wonder, like, do, are there other people, like powers that we've seen that like have a super secret body somewhere that could be killed? I don't know. Well, I don't know if, I think the body her her like physical manifestation was like a new evolution of her or something because the whole time we're talking about her Lorik is talking about how she's going to take this part of Corald Emerlane mm-hmm. and every other time we talk about uh the whirlwind goddess it's just like she is Reriku she is all around and so I don't know if there actually was a physical body until she started taking that part of Corral Emerlane. Well, but she's a Talani mass. Yeah. Or was a Talani mass. So she started that's off as a right, That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. See, that's then, what yeah, she me off, She was a Talani mass, and we, we say she is rare, we say she is all these things, but really it's just she's a, a Talani mass who took power and kind of was able to use power over a distance. Is that as simple as it was in the end? Yeah, Josh, my reading's a little bit closer to that, but I do want to take our attention back towards the scene on the hill where... Uh, the whirlwind goddess in presence kind of withdraws from Felicin here. And I think in this scene, Steve's deliberately playing with the idea of a duel in this way mm-hmm. that that ends many books in this genre where these two commanders are going to come out and duel each other because they are heroes and villains. And so they come out of Mean of the Hill and Tavor stabs her sister through. AJ, how did you feel about this scene? Uh, I mean, I, I think y'all already covered it, but it was sad. 
Um, I forgot until I, I forgot that Tavor didn't know that it was Felsen until Pearl and the Star were like, "Hey, what's up?" And she's like, "Oh, what are you doing here? What's going on?" I sent yeah. you to say, I sent you to find Felsen. I forgot about that until until that part, yeah. uh, which just made it. It was like a gamut all over again. It was like, man, that stinks. And then it was like, oh, man, that actually really stinks. So I, I, I don't really know what else I could add to it that you guys didn't already cover. It was very sad. And I, I feel bad about it. It makes me sad when Felicin is like, why didn't you love me, sister? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, that whole inner Felicin, like we finally get to be in Felicin's head again for, for like, you know, the first time in a while. And it's just like, oh, man, I remember uh, Ganos and, and Tavor playing and it was going to be my turn soon. And then everything happened. And, and it's just and then the her... It's just like talking about the weight of the armor and the weight of the sword and how everything is just like mm-hmm. pressing down on her. And she's like super aware of just, just super aware of everything again, yeah. you know, for the first time in God knows how long. Um, it's just really that really is. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's very it's very heavy. It's very sad. Mm hmm. I, I agree. I think it's a very sad story. OK, uh, I, I just we don't have to keep this in the podcast, but I, I am now realizing in the chapter summary uh, talking about the whirlwind goddesses once husband's betrayal. Um, oh, yeah. Do you want to loop it, back to that? Shouldn't we maybe, do that at the very I, end? No, well, it just uh, here. We can just cut it in if you want. I don't know. No, it's fine. If does it come up later? Because I think I just realized something that maybe was. Did, did you not put it together? I didn't. No, you didn't. I no, I did. didn't. I no, I did not put it together. So that was why I didn't have a lot of feelings about it. Josh, <laughs> did you put it together? Yeah. All right. So we're all right. Well, we'll, we'll just talk about it when we get to it then. So we're three for what? Well, this is going. We in should this, talk this, about it because it is, is not no, explicitly said. So. AJ, AJ, yeah, but it comes up later where they're like, "Oh, the, she's gone, dude." AJ, this is going in the show right now. Absolutely. This is. <laughs> yeah. This is. This is I- India is right. doing a victory lap. So sure. Or have you yeah, put I, it together I, uh, right now in the span of this conversation? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I guess to, to make it cleaner for me to edit. Uh, no, you know what? This is all just staying in. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get the world goddess thing. What didn't you get? What didn't you get? I didn't get, get that, that she was Onrak's partner or whatever. Yeah. Which is funny because we all, we all felt very high and mighty. We thought it was Kalava. Uh, mm. When we when he first talks about it, when in like the the episode on it, I think we're like, oh, it's got to be Kalava because yeah. she's the only bone caster who didn't become a a, a bone person. Mm. We did well, say that. No, he drew another woman. Yeah, that he, was why she was. He drew Kalava. Oh, drew Kalava. Yeah. Oh right, right, right. And oh, this okay, is his good. wife. That's what it was. That's yeah. what it was. That's yeah. What it was. Thank you. Um. Yeah, I didn't get it, and now Classic I get it. Woman and scorned makes a whirlwind. Yeah, I really, I really have whole different feelings now about this one, the whole whirlwind goddess, and I understand why you asked me what my feelings were, Pete, because it does kind of suck. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I, I feel mixed about that, but um, so does this mean Onrak's the bad guy? Well, it certainly puts a whole spin on his story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I mean, damn, Onrak I guess I gotta read the end of this book again. Onrak is, is, is directly the cause of Felicin's death, saying it now. 
I mean, I don't know if there's dire- a lot I don't of know weird. If directly is the word yeah. I would use. I say indirectly. <laughs> I mean, he certainly contributed to the events, but there's a lot of stuff that other people had to do <laughs> yeah. to come to this point. Um, okay. Like, people get cheated on and don't turn into <laughs> wrathful gods. The entire, yeah. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> All right, well, n- now that all that gold just went into the show. Yeah, I don't know how I read over that. So, damn. Leoman and Carson. still reeling from the gamut stuff, I guess. Leoman and Carson <laughs> say their goodbyes. Josh, did you have any feelings about them saying goodbye? I want them to be better friends. Do you, you think know, they're friends? I think that in another world, they could be. I feel like I wish they're they like. Were. I feel like they're like companions in a way. I don't know. Friends is a big word. Yeah, I think they could be friends in a different world, and I I wish that was the case, um, but I was not shocked to see them go their own way because I have a feeling that most people Carson spends time with, he will kill. Yeah. Given given the right push. So I like Leoman and I would like him to not be just slaughtered by Carson. Mm. So So afterwards, Pearl and Lestara come deliver Corblo Dom to Adjunct Tavor. And then they decide to conceal what they know. And they say, oh, we found your sister, Felicin. She's dead. We know it for sure. And Tavor kind of accepts this and leaves. And they decide to bury Felicin's body. India, what did you think about their decision to conceal this information from Tavor? And do you think she will find out? Yeah, she'll find out, I think. If not, weird. But like, it could it could happen that way. I don't. I don't know why they decided to not tell her. So I, I, I don't, I just, I don't get it. You don't know why? No, nope. I don't PB. Why don't you enlighten me? Well, AJ, do you think you know why? Sorry, I was just reading, <laughs> just reading the world and goddess section again. Uh, what's going on? on we're ta- AJ, why we're talking didn't about they tell Tavor that, that she killed Felicin? Why didn't they? Yeah. Because it would have destroyed her. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was it was an act of mercy. Yeah, Tavor the the the, the description of the the cold <laughs> iron description of the way that Tavor uh, dispatches who she thinks is Shaik is just like mm-hmm. sword goes in, uh, body falls, boot goes on chest to pull sword out, and Tavor walks away. Like that is brutal. And to to be like, oh, by the way, that was your younger mm-hmm. sister. This is your fault. You dumb bitch. Like, I, I mean, certainly she should have to reckon with this in some way at some point. But I please, please, I please. do Are not think this was Tavor's the moment. mental state over the fact that she killed her sister. Is that what we're doing? Guys? Just because, OK, just because Felicin, I said earlier that she should have been told she should have known. I don't know, guys. I, I think just I, I don't think it's fair to judge uh, to like so when I don't, that I don't think it's fair to Well, Felson went through a whole lot of shit. Is that the hill you're dying on? <laughs> AJ, I know what you're getting at, but like the news would upset her. Is that what you're saying? I th- it would destroy her. It's not a being upset. It's fucking she was she was upset when they were like, oh, hey, Gamut's dead. She would be like. I don't know, guys. I, I I am having a hard time agreeing with you here. The, I think the, she the, would. What the consequence? No the consequences of her actions would be difficult to deal with. Yeah, but I, I'm, God, I don't think now baby. is the moment to deal when with is this. The moment after everything, after she's not f- actively leading an army. 
so then they're like, hey, we lied. That was your sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a tougher conversation to have, I it's think. It's a tough conversation to have no matter what, How do you what, decide guys? the right moment? I see you're sitting, nice chicken Alfredo in front of you. Let me just real quick. Boop, boop, boop. You killed your sister. Uh, with your with your sword. There's no good time. No, I'm not saying there is a good time. I'm just saying there's a better time than right this second immediately after it happened while she still has sure. to like okay. control I'll, an entire legion of people. I'll give you that. I, I'm kind of just playing it up for yucks in some ways, although I do sure. disagree with you, I will say. <laughs> um, I'm not yeah. saying it's not like a terrible thing that she did. I thought it was like, I thought, Peter, you were getting at like maybe it was like something that Cotillion didn't want them to tell her but if it's if it was just literally to spare her feelings um i i want no part and i'm pissed Mm -hmm. so uh fiddler's out with cuddle and he's with randall for a bit they like encounter some desert warriors they like randall dies and it's kind of the end of fiddler's story here and it all ends with him kind of feeling the cadence of this song and then he meets up with his two brothers and hugs them yes How did you feel at the ending of Fiddler's story here? First off, I did not need them chasing into the... Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, that was weird. I'm going to say an unpopular opinion. If Fiddler pulled out a crossbow and shot Lieutenant Rannell in the back, I would have cheered at any moment in this book, which is a <laughs> terrible thing to say. But watching this scene, all I could think is, this fucking idiot is going to get Fiddler killed and everything was for nothing. And I was just so stressed about it the whole thing freaking time and so and then he would like literally fiddler was like because this happened in the second book they were like you don't chase them into the whirlwind because they'll they, they'll fucking beat you in it mm. and it happened and fucking hedge saves him and that was a nice moment but i was also like fiddler you are smarter than this mm. stop listening to this big dumb idiot uh, it was very frustrating to me but the big hug at the end was very good and i like that he got to see hedge i need i want to go back actually and read book one because that's the only time we get to see Fiddler and Hedge. And I yeah. feel like maybe maybe there was more camaraderie there or more like tit for tat than I remember. So it was nice. India, where did you think about Fiddler's story in this book where it ended up in their kind of little hug at the end? Okay. So, you know, I'm not su- super invested in Fiddler um, or any of like the... I mean, it's complicated. I wasn't super moved, but I, I did like... Fiddler, kind of. I mean, his story wasn't terrible. It was, like, pretty good. So I'm happy that he didn't die. Um, I thought it was really nice. Did Hedge, like, ghost? Is he dead? He was, like, ghostly. He was like, hey, buddy. And he just, like... <laughs> hey. He just, like, Ooh. hugged him a little, like, hey. held, like, hid him so that Goodbye. he didn't die. Yeah, something like that. That was beautiful. I thought that was really <clears throat> cute and sweet. And um, I really liked that they all found, that the, the boys, you know, found each other and hugged. So that was cute. It wasn't, I see, I mean, good ending. Good on you. Good ending. I mean, I, I don't, I, there was no real anything that happened, but fair. So this is, we talked about it a bit earlier. We see the Tistliosian and there's like an explosion <laughs> and then, then, then the kind of four of them talk and they're like, all right, let's get out of here. So oh, you, you guys so were good. saying it was kind of comic relief. Why'd y'all feel that way? Oh, okay. So... It's just like the the all the explosions go off 
and they they the Tislosian get knocked off their horses or whatever, and they're like, no, you know what? I think it's not really their fault. You know, <laughs> like it's it was really the dragon. So like maybe we should just you know maybe we should just let them kind of you know it's yeah. whatever. You know, it's not really that big of a breach. They didn't know the laws. You know, so yeah. I think we kind of got to <laughs> ease up and maybe we just go we go find the dragon. We figure we figure that out. Yeah, like it's just the funniest shit I've read. So fucking good, so good. I I know exactly what you mean. It feels like when I'm talking to someone and we're just both talking ourselves out of doing something. (laughs) You know, I didn't didn't really want to go to that bar anyway. You know, we should just stay. You know, I think you know there's no need to. Like it wasn't their choice. (laughs) They didn't do it on purpose. You know, they didn't didn't know the bylaw. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say earlier on when, when we're going back and forth between like Korab and Fiddler and, and that stuff going back and forth at, at one point, right before the uh, explosion goes off, Korab's final line before he presumably gets blown to bits, spirits below, it is good to be alive. And then the next section is the detonation should have killed Fiddler, uh, which makes me think that Korab is now just blood dust. Like he's not, <laughs> he has been exploded, but his last thought was, man, it's good to be alive. So I just thought that was funny. We do put a pin on the whole Sin story as well. Sin, we see the Ashok Regiment. (laughs) Sin comes all the way back, and she gets her vengeance, and we put a pin in what I would call a a C story for this book. And uh, That's generous. Yeah, I would say Sin was mentioned in, like, chapter 12, and that was it. (laughs) Well, she shows up in the finale with the Ashok Regiment. And India, you're giving mm-hmm. me a, 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 a completely nonplussed expression. <laughs> Who's Sin? Do you remember when Callum, Callum, go, uh, he like is with that renegade people and then they climb into the caves and stuff. And he, yeah, the mage that he worked with. The who mage was who was like, poisoning the food. But didn't know that it would cause him to like die for oh, hours. Oh, and then yeah, she, yeah, they all bled everywhere. And like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, her. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's exactly, exactly. Exactly. The only the only reason I knew was because I just edited the episode where you talked about. We talked about it in episode four. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh my god. Like, yeah. No p. No thoughts. So well, let her. me ask. Let me ask. Let me ask you about this then. So Promostara, Yale, Barry, uh, Fellison, and and then the Holy Desert floods. So you know, if you have any flood thoughts, share them. But I'd be more interested in what you think about this duo, um, which I do think stands in contrast to a lot of the other duos of the book ser- books thus far. And I wonder what you make of Pearl and Lestara Yill after House of Chains. So I love them together. I think mm. they're very funny. But um, and I and I clearly misread them the entire time because like here I am thinking that Pearl is going to double cross the star and he's just like this bad guy when in reality he's just like a sweet little guy mm. um ish kind of if anything he's, he's, he's the naive one and then i thought okay well the star is like clearly all business and not interested but then she's like you better come back or i'll come find you and i was like <laughs> oh. Oh. so um i hope that they're in the next couple of books doing whatever i i will never not enjoy them I think that they could literally just be like pointless characters doing nothing, kind of like so many in this book. And I would still be happy reading what they were doing. I love them. Hmm. Josh? I'd love to give some flood thoughts, um, but I'm going to have to take us into the Steven Erickson is a weeb corner real quick. House of Chains was released in 2002. 
Oh my god. From 2000 to 2002, the One Piece manga, and I am currently rewatching One Piece, <laughs> has an arc called the Alabasta Arc in which the Straw Hat Pirates do fight in a desert against a man who controls and creates sandstorms, and at the end of the arc, suddenly rain erupts into this desert that has been drought-stricken for years. And I read this, and I just finished the arc for, for uh, the like a, like three days before finishing this book. And Stephen Erickson stole from One Piece. You've heard it here first. He is like, the biggest weeb. Listen, that's my. If, thank you. if only there was some sort of venue where we could bring these questions to Call Steve directly. <laughs> oh <Fuck>. my gosh. <laughs> yes. Wow. So, wow. what is a flood related? Like, what do you got? Wait, no. And I'm actually interested in why you asked about flood related questions. AJ, can you tell me if you have any flood related uh, thoughts? Uh, I was flood. I was confused by we were talking about a sandstorm and then I felt like all of a sudden it was like, no, there's an actual storm. We're flooding. And then we were back in the sandstorm. I was very confused there, but I did get that it was flooding and I didn't realize when it started. It just kind of was like, oh, now it's full of water. Uh, Yeah, because Lestara and Pearl are like, oh, cool. Yeah, here comes the water. We're going to make it, but we'll make it on this island. And and Lestara is like, well, now what do we do when we're on an island? And then but but before that, I did not realize that the desert was flooding. Well, that was when it started, I think. I think they were the first ones to talk about it. But it was just, okay, well then why weren't they like, hey, the fucking desert's flooding? They were just like, ah, yes, the desert, it is flooding, and we will be stuck on an island. Like, what? The shit they've gone through, Lestora has had multiple conversations with the That I thought was actually really interesting. I I actually thought it was really interesting because there is a part where Lestara's like reflecting on all the stuff she's been through, and in that moment, Mm -hmm. it was just like, very much uh, a reader surrogate uh, where it was like, man, all this shit happened, but I still have to think about this thing. So I can't even think about the weird bone dragon I saw crucified. I'm busy thinking about like (laughs) something else. Like, uh, I don't know. I just thought that was really, uh, that was just really interesting. I agree. I do think it's purposeful there. Um, Haborik and co look out on the, this flooding here. And then Ascaro Pust shows up and he says, they're all going to (laughs) head off together. On a, a big journey. So, India. You know, Puster Bust, dude. Puster Bust. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um, are you Pust or are you Bust? Bust. <laughs> I can't stand him. <laughs> Josh, he's Pust. He's so annoying. Puster Bust. Bust. I literally love when Cutter Crocus is like makes him feel bad and stuff. It's like it gives me life. Oh, I love yeah. it so much. The part where he's like, no, she's not even looking for you, dude. You're not important to her at all. She's happier when you're not here. And he just gets pissed and leaves. I was like, yes, so good. that's what I need. Haters be damned. I love to pust a nut and I love everything you. about that character. I quit, I quit I'm this le- podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm done. sorry. This it's is real. We're over. <laughs> Fuck these books. Goodbye. But <laughs> coming to this part, are we going to talk about the Crocus uh, uh, Cotillion thing that yeah, happened? So here, no? let, yeah, I, I really just wanted to get that bad joke out. And now, uh, yeah. well, let, Pete, did you see that somebody somebody called us the four Pusketeers? I did see oh, that. No. Yeah, oh, very no. good stuff. I, very the good podcast stuff. has been so long. What was Josh's really funny joke he wanted to add into the show? <laughs> oh, Corvo <laughs> Sub. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, India, as you said, at the end of this book, Cutter and Cotillion then have a whole conversation. And in some way, it kind of mirrors the conversation Cotillion had with Absalar back a few chapters mm-hmm. ago. And Cutter speaks about his future and his love. And eventually, Cotillion's like, 
charges him with protecting Fellas and Younger. So what did you make of this conversation with Cutter? Cotillion is turning out to be quite the little matchmaker among uh, these young. <laughs> yeah, right? right? Okay, Cupid, more like, okay, Cotillion. <laughs> Sorry. But, All right, um, now, now I'm going to go. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. All right. He, he's, got so, he got, he's got so many fingers in the pie, and also he's playing matchmaker. Yeah. Literally. When okay. he talked to Absalar, mm. Absalar was like, I don't want you to hurt him. La-di-da. Yeah. So then he and then left. Do we there's no other story other than that. Is there do we know what was going to happen? Was he going to like go like. Is, do I know no, why she it, left? It's unknown, no? her destination. Great. Um. Okay, well, in that case, I felt really bad for him. He just, he was so sad when he realized she left. And I just, I don't know where she went and I don't know why, but it seems like Cotillion was like, you either got to leave or like something's happening to this kid. Right? Is, am I wrong? Mm-hmm. And then so she had to like leave to like save him. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Protection. Yeah, it wasn't like a specific thing that was going to happen to him, but he, but it was just like... If she didn't did, leave, Crocus or Cutter would keep, you know, doing Cutter. Well, yes, your read on him was correct, Inge. Great. Stupid. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like I don't know what's going on with them. I'm happy that he has a new crew now and he can, like, <laughs> find a new girlfriend, Fellas and Younger. Good for him. Wow. I don't. Well, the, what is the point of this? Protect her from what? Like, what's happening? I don't even know what's happening. Cotillion is doing so much right now and explaining nothing. So yeah, they're they're going somewhere, but yeah, where it is, who knows? I think so. There's, I think there's something really clever. Cutter makes some sort of joke. He's like, "Oh, how epic!" or something. Yeah, how yeah. epic of you? <laughs> I think it's a very purposeful <laughs> gag. So, oh yeah. At the very end, then Carsa. Uh, Talks to Sabella briefly, throws her uh, the remains of her into the water, and uh, rides west. So we're going to have a lot of opportunity to talk about Carsa, so we don't necessarily to go fully into depth. But Josh, how did you feel about where this book leaves Carsa Orlong? Um, ah, wow, I didn't expect that question. I feel like most of our characters have completed a journey, you know, mm-hmm. of some sort. It, typically in each of these books, they make a journey. I feel like... Carsa is like purposefully his 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 journey does not reach an end. You know, we've just gotten to this next part of it. And I feel like he has the I have the clearest vision of like what he is going to do. You know what I mean? Like he's going to keep perfecting himself until he can go lead the Teblor into fucking whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's a tough question. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're going to have a kind of episode in the off season kind of about Carson in a way, but and we'll also have a chance to talk about it in the mailbag, but I'll just share my thoughts. I find I'm not a Carson fan, and I find this ending very aggravating. He, you know, he has this line about mercy, and I suppose, mm, yeah, the, yeah. I suppose the book here is trying to say Carson has learned the value of mercy through his journey, which I do not follow at all, and it has completely left me out of this House of Chains. Uh, I feel like he has shown that he understands that it can be appropriate to have mercy, but fully believes that it is not what everyone needs or deserves. That is how I, that's how I took it. <sighs> India, how do you feel about the ending of Karsa's journey in this book? I don't really see an ending as much as like an open-ended mm-hmm. yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't really, I, I'm, I'm just wondering 
like what's next for him because there really was no ending. Yes. I like that he threw that lady in the water though. That was nice of him. Mm-hmm. One of his chains gone. Well, AJ, before we do kind of big picture thoughts about the ending, do you want to say do you have anything to say about Carsa's? Um, I don't really have anything to say about Carsa <laughs> pretty much, but the except for his or his, you know, his moment, obviously. The glory is nothing. And then he goes on to say the same cannot be said for mercy. And I think it's more a comment on the whole book because like all of these, all the different players were chasing this glory, right? And none of them get it. Uh, and even Tavor, who kind of gets it because she kills Shaikh, right? Like that isn't even really glory, so to speak. Um, you know, I, 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 a facsimile of such. Right. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think the quote or that that line is more there f- to have us. It is the thesis of the book, I think, mm-hmm. um, in in a way, and is less about Carso or Long because I at this point I I, I think I'm just I'm kind of with y'all. It's just like sure he's going to go on and do some more stuff, and maybe he'll come back in a later book. But you know his his story in this book is done, and that quote at the end doesn't really. I don't know. He, I, I don't think he's really, he understands these things, but he hasn't put it into practice yet. Right. It's just like, he understands these things in the hindsight of all the stuff that just happened. He's like, Oh yeah. Glory stinks. I don't know. I mean, I know what you're saying about it. Speaking to how you feel about the rest of the book. I just don't think mm-hmm. he's the right vessel for that message for me, but let's turn now to, the entirety of the ending, and then we'll briefly touch on the epilogue. Josh, Mm -hmm. how do you feel like this whole book wraps up? I do not think it wraps up anywhere near as neatly as Memories of Ice, but I think that's a pretty high bar, if I'm being Mm -hmm. honest. So I'll say that, oh God, I don't, like the way it wraps up makes me wonder when I'll see these characters again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because... It's very like like everyone is in very disparate locations or not everyone. There's there's some groups in very just disparate locations and especially the ones in Reriku. I feel like there are 27 more steps before they are out of seven cities unless like quick, especially the armies. You know what I mean? Not necessarily some individuals like Quick Band and Kalam and Fiddler could just escape whenever. Although I don't think Fiddler will leave his troops anymore. But um. I don't know. I'm very curious to see where, like, how they get to the next spot and where the next spot even is. India, how do you feel House of Chains wraps up? I don't feel like it wrapped up very well. <laughs> it's more like a gift bag, you know? It was like, here, this is a few things that are closed now, but also there's a whole bunch of shit that's open and um, who knows what's next? Have fun. So I don't really think it wrapped up well. I But... I will say now I think they're like building on some things and and we're learning more things. So I don't think we necessarily were going to wrap up in this. All of the new open topics that we have, I feel like there's going to be a much hopefully more interesting book that will wrap up some of the things that we actually just discovered in this one. I know what you mean, that it's kind of building towards some other things. Yeah. And because Memories of Ice just seemed like a wrap up of things that were building and then some new topics. And now I just feel like this was kind of starting over in some ways or just building on other things. AJ, brief thoughts about how this book wraps up altogether. I mean, ultimately, I think I was satisfied that there wasn't some big battle. 
Uh, mm -hmm. Because as I've been saying throughout the entire book, I'm, I was not interested in the prospect of like there being this huge battle at the end and one of the Tavor sisters or one of the parent sisters sisters coming out on top. Like I was never interested in that. Uh, and so I think the end of this book is, you know, I kind of got what I wished for, where it was just like all these little stories coming together. Uh, you know, everybody kind of had their own little moment and stuff. But I do think it's having only read Memories of Ice and having that extremely fulfilling and like nice tight bow wrapped, like felt really great at the end of that book. Um, I am feeling a bit unfulfilled, I suppose, because um, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the ending stuff here is kind of non-ending right it's like non-ending stuff it is just like and now they are done they have done this and then and and i feel like we're gonna pick up on all of this stuff in a later book and it's just like steve was like well i don't want to write a 2000 page book so i'll just write the beginning of it here <laughs> and then <laughs> we'll pick it up later i love um, that so and I as think if, I, as I, if Steve cares about how many pages his books are. <laughs> I think what you're touching on is a bit true. I think the book is definitely purposefully anticlimactic in a way, or it's trying to take a swerve or play with your expectations in the finale. But for me, glory I, is nothing. But for me, glory I don't. Is nothing. Yes, glory is nothing. Glory is nothing. But for me, I don't think it at uh, it, it. That doesn't mean it sticks the landing. Because <laughs> to me, I. I'm pretty cold on this book and we'll get to that more in the wrap up show, I suppose. But I think reading the second half of this book has been particularly disappointing for me. And I think although there are some parts of this book that jive for me, I think ultimately at the end, I can't help but feeling like I don't even know why we did any of this. You know, I feel like completely adrift at the end of mm -hmm. a book at the end of House of Chains. So that's that's about where I'm at with reading this finale. Yeah, I agree. However, that brings us to the epilogue where oh, right. AJ, you Shit. brought up you brought up this glory comment earlier. But what I glory like comment? this no glory is ah, it was a joke. I know what glory comment I'm talking about. I actually think there's more thesis being said. The ending here speaks more to me about what you're getting at, about that, you know, a lot of these characters are defined by their past traumas and they're being dragged around, so to speak. And Troll and Onrak certainly have their pasts they're dealing with. It's They talk mm -hmm. about them quite often. And finally, here in the epilogue, we, you know, we see... Manal and we see all the, the these people and we're at the first throne but troll finally is going to talk about and face his past you know and i think yep. that speaks to me about how you know these th these mistakes we've made in our past and these things that weigh us down like we need to come to terms with and we need to face them and that's how i feel yeah we're going to we're going to have our off season, but we're going into it now. And I just thought it would be fun to tell the three of you at the end of this book. Oh, I already know. You already know. Oh, fuck. Yeah, off. I found the book in Barnes and Noble yesterday. Nice. Well, so Inge, AJ, Josh, you know, the next book is the only character that is shared is Troll Sengar. <laughs> Yeah, that's and what I, I assumed. I assumed the entire book is about oh. trying to explain. Well, it's mm, the entire oh, book is about okay. the Tist Eater, Troll Sengar, 
end <laughs> the story of how he ended up where he was That's in House I of Chains. Oh, That's I didn't get that though. That is the most. That is the most oh, devastating man. thing. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop recording. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I gotta go. Fuck, that's so fu- I didn't get I, that. I, I like, I mean, listen, and maybe that is somewhat spoilery, I guess, but I think no, I wanted to share that on the show. Out. And there's a lot going on in Midnight Tides, you know, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. But that is where the story is going next to Troll Sungar, <laughs> the Tist Eater. That is the perfect direction for the story to go. <laughs> that's that exactly is, that where it's exactly pointing to. Where us. I, there's no story happening in the present day. We need to go back. I like how could how could we tell a story in the present if we don't know the past? <laughs> oh Every God. single character's past. I know, I know. I read the back of the book yesterday, and I did not get that it was in the past. I assumed we were going to be going to wherever they currently are. You know what Josh, I mean? Josh, that's foolish. Why Josh, would we continue why to follow? I know. I know. That? Come on. I know. How dare I? <laughs> oh man. Uh, Oh man. I'm so pissed. I'm <sighs> pissed. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. My least favorite character. It had to be his book. India, we've t- we talked about this yesterday. You don't hate the character, you just hate the, the way all, they the talk. Po- all the stuff that they're involved in. And so like you know what I'm gonna say though? Yeah, you know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say India. <laughs> the way the way that troll talks, I imagine they are all gonna talk well, that no. way. I was gonna. Th- I think that it's gonna be less of like weird ethereal talk because they're gonna be in that moment, right? Unless they're still in Were in the past, talk still like talking that. about <laughs> the past. All right, all right. Hey, does Andamander Rake typically talk real straightforward? <laughs> Josh. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Like yep. thousands of years ago, Animator Rake's walking around, beer me, bro. What's good? <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we get to see, though. Oh, man. Well, all right. Listen, this episode was pretty hefty. She was thick. Thank you, everyone who went all the way through this extra long episode discussing the ending of House of Chains. We're going to have an off season with some special episodes, like always. That episode, that episode order will go up on our Twitter soon, and we'll have a mailbag episode, talk to Steve, and a few other things. Um, as always, you can let us know what you think of the show on Gmail or Twitter at 10 Very Big Books, and... Send us your mailbag comments and questions. Yeah, send us your comments. We want to hear from you as going into the offseason. Um, I think, especially with a book like House of Chains, that... Obviously, the four of us have a lot of kind of different scattershot opinions about a lot of different parts. I'm really interested to hear from big fans of this book, big fans of Carcer, different parts of the uh, the story to just bring in different perspectives on in the show. So we look forward to hearing from everybody. And uh, thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Producer AJ here. Realizing how long it's been since we recorded this episode, uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And not much to talk about in the credits this week, except the next episode of the show will be the House of Chains mailbag episode, and we want to hear from you. Uh, you can send us your questions, comments, thoughts, anything uh, about this book to either the mailbag channel in our Discord, or you can email it to us uh, ten very big books at gmail.com, or you can DM us on Twitter at ten very big books. We will be recording. 
recording the episode on October 4th, so you have until then to get us your message. Uh, the sooner, the better, though. Uh, if you'd like to send us a message on Discord, you can head on over to bit.ly slash Discord and join everyone there. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. That link will also be in the show notes. If you'd like to check out our Patreon, you can visit the link in the show notes as well, uh, or you can head on over to patreon.com slash 10verybigbooks. At the time of this recording, we are now at 122 patrons and $477 a month, uh, which includes an extremely generous one-time donation from Adam. Uh, thank you so, so much. And thank you so, so much to anyone who has donated anything. Uh, I say this every time, but we really, really will never, ever be able to thank all of you enough. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Geserich for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Geserich for tweets about not caring about last weekend's Eagles-Rams game. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthan from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on Bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 Very Big Books will be back in two weeks on October 9th, talking about our final thoughts of House of Chains and answering your questions. Don't forget to send us your mailbag things. I will talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening. Cake somewhere in this can we can I can you just put in a clip of me being like Corbolo Dom or like Corbolo Sub because I really like I just I just thought about that just now and I'd like it to be put in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll use I'll use that unless you want to get a clean one. Unless you want to get a clean one. Uh, do you know what? Do you want to do one and we can all get a good laugh reaction in? <laughs> no, I think, I think we're good. I'd rather actually there's nothing. How could you have not said that? Just shoot that zinger somewhere in the podcast, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> People are gonna love it. <laughs> okay. That was incredible. <laughs>